1: Get your quote today at progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. This is
2: A's Cast Live. Your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics. field Looking up. He will watch it fly. And 29 other MLB clubs. 2 2 pitch on Trout, and he blasts one. Way back! It's one out. Oh! He's your home run derby champion. Join us as we take you inside the baseball universe. From spin rate to juiced balls to game-changing moments, we have you covered. Spend your afternoon with us next from the town, only on A's Cast Live. 2-1 pitch, high fly ball, right center field. Over for is Jackson and Crisp. Connor Jackson squeezes it. And the 10-game losing streak
0: is over. Ninth inning, 12-5 A's, no balls and two strikes. And the pitch to Michael Young is swung on a fly ball center field. That's going to do it. Coco is under it, drifting back. He's there, and he's got it. division title belongs to the Oakland Athletics. Celebration time at the Coliseum. 2 pitch. Got him swinging and that's the ball game. And how about this, folks? The magical season for the Oakland A's will now include October baseball. The A's are in the postseason, For the fourth time in the last seven years. Here's the 2-2 pitch and it's swung on a miss and down he goes. A foul tip held by Murphy. The A's have won at 12-6 and for Bob Melvin, he becomes the winningest manager in Oakland A's history. And what a great honor and a fantastic milestone for a great manager and an outstanding human being. He passes Tony La Russa the most in Oakland A's history, win number 799 for Bo Mel. And he does it in the city
1: where he managed his first major league game for the Seattle Mariners. Here's
2: Chris Townsend.
1: It was a very special night. I, I think no question. You know, everything for this organization changed when Bob Melvin got here. I've said this for years. There was like a cloud over the organization. A lot of things not going right. 2007, they were 76 and 86. 2008, they were 77 and 86. 2009, 75 and 87. 2010, 81 and 81. But that was winning the last four games in Seattle Against a team that was basically a triple A slash double A team. And then they started out in 2011 thinking, well, you know, you finished 500 last year, is this team growing? And they were miserable. The team finished out 74 and 88. I knew about Bob Melvin, I'd watched him, but I remember when he showed up. And things just started to be different. There looked to be like there was a leader. There was a guy that the players really respected. There was a guy that the players listened to. And I remember some of my first conversations with him, I went, this guy's different. And then he would talk to you privately and, you know, he he actually listens to the post-game show and, and, you know, said some things that made me realize, yeah, he does listen to the post-game show. And over the years, I've gotten to know Bob real well. Been doing a Bob Melvin show with him for a long time. Just look at the dramatic difference of winning in your 70s, winning in the 70s by the time 2012 hit. Bob Melvin had led the A's to 94 and 68, 96 and 66, 88 and 74. You have a blip for three years 15, 16, 17, and then you're right back at it. 97 and 65, 97 and 65. Last year, 36 and 24, which was on pace for 97 wins again. And this year, right now, At 32 and 25. The amount of winning he has done. In a short time here with the A's. Has been incredible. And what. Bob Melvin. Has taught everybody. Analytics are great. Data is great. You know Moneyball. The book. The movie. They were great. But to truly win and to, grow, and to go on runs, there has to be an adult in the room. There has to be a guy that leads the ship, leads the clubhouse. A guy that every player, whether you love him or not, most people do love him, but whether they love him or not, they got to respect him. You know, you're in, a, you're in a game today where guys are getting moved around, guys are getting pitch hit for, they're looking at data saying, hey, listen, we're taking you out of the game, we're taking at-bats away from you, we're, we're, we're only giving you so many innings. Baseball has changed a lot. And Bob Melvin has been able to communicate with the players and truly tell them, I'm putting you in the best case scenario, for you to make money. That's one thing players have always respected, is that Bob is about their careers. Because Bob knows, I don't know how long you're going to be in Oakland. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to put you in a position that's going to help you make more money, whether it's here somewhere else. And I'm going to keep you out of positions that you're not good at. And players respect that. He gets to know these young men, which this team, not so young. He gets to know them personally. And now you think, well, doesn't every manager do that? I guess not. Certain managers care about their players than than, than other managers. And Bob has been a godsend. Bob has been a godsend for you, the fan base. He cares about you. How many managers really care about the fan base? Bob always talks about he wants to win so bad when there's a big crowd. He wants to reward the big crowd. He wears number six for Sal Bando. Bob Melvin has been the perfect fit. And I remember... I don't know if it was on A's cast or I was on 95-7 the game when this happened. We were talking about, you know, the greatness of A's managers. And what was the first thing? Bob Melvin hasn't won a World Series. So, all of a sudden, it's, well, Tony LaRusse has won a World Series. He's been to three World Series. Dick Williams won two World Series. And that's fact. And... You can't take it away from those guys. But when I look at who's done the best job, it was very easy to look at what Tony La Russa had. Three MVPs, two Cy Young Awards, three Rookie of the Year's, the highest payroll in baseball, or always a top five payroll in baseball. Yes, your Oakland Athletics used to be a top five payroll team. Bob Melvin's never had any of that. Look at the team Dick Williams had. This team had been together for years. You got Reggie Jackson. You got Sal Bando. You got Catfish Hunter. You got Vida Blue, Ken Holtzman, Raleigh Fingers. I mean, all around the diamond, you got Gene Tennis. Ended up getting my man Ray Fossey, Bert Campanaris, Dick Green, on and on and on. The talent that were on the teams in the 70s, and the talent that Tony LaRussa had, Ricky, Canseco, McGuire, Hindu, Carney, I mean, come on, Eckersley, Stu, Welch, Mike Moore. I mean, the, the Italian. yeah, yeah, he should have won. I'm not trying to take anything away. Bob Melvin's had none of that. I mean, you look at the patchwork and the amount of guys he runs through throughout a year, the guys that he's lost, the guys that were on his best teams that he lost. And Bob never makes an excuse. You never hear him say, "Well, you know, this guy's gone, that guy's gone, this you've never heard that." He just says, "Give me what give me what you got and I'll make it happen." And if we don't make it happen, we're going to prepare them to make it happen in the future. You know, some years are a teaching moment. I mean, the odds of you winning every single year pretty slim to none. And in those years where you're going to be bad, there's going to be a lot of player movement. You're going to have a lot of young guys come up, and you got to teach them up and get them ready to play Oakland A's baseball and win. And that's all Bob Melvin has done. I, I, I am so happy for him. Think about that. Your interim manager is now your, your all-time winningest manager in Oakland A's history. And, oh, yeah, he grew up an A's fan. Pretty darn special Cody I can't tell you how happy I am for Bob Melvin
3: uh, it's incredible the amount of success that Bob's had here and I saw a note that you know he's since he took over in his first year full time on a full time basis in 2012 the A's has been in the postseason six times that's how with the Yankees and Cardinals are the second most in baseball only the Dodgers have been there more and that was eight times that they've been there since 2012 that's pretty staggering now, if Bob wants to get greedy and he wants to catch Connie Mack, he only needs two thousand seven hundred eighty-three more wins to catch Connie Mack to become the franchise leader, and career wins. I don't think Bob's going to get there. I think he needs to manage till he's like one hundred and thirty years old or something like that.
1: I think he can do it.
3: I mean, hey, more power to him if he wants to, if he wants to keep going uh, to get there. That's a that's a long way to go. Uh, Connie Mack managed a long time. Uh, I have his numbers up in front of me. He managed the uh, Philadelphia A's for. 50 years, so good luck. Uh, remember, he managed three years of the Pittsburgh Pirates before he took over the Philadelphia A's. So it just shows his success. And every, every time we talk to someone, current player or former player, they've all said the same thing about Bob. He's a great communicator. He cares about his players. Um, and we know how great of a person Bob is just from the weekly conversations we have with him. Um, it was a great experience. How, it was so great to see him win his 799th game and where he in Seattle where he had his first managerial experience after being on Bob Brenly's staff in Arizona. So to see that happen last night, to see the A's finally get the offense going, something we haven't talked about, they finally got the offense going a little bit after Bob Melvin motivated the team in the fifth inning. It was pretty cool to see the, the A's get it going for Bob Melvin's 799th win last night in Seattle.
1: Well, there he is, looking pretty in the press box. What's up, Vinny? What do you got, brother? How are you? I- I'm doing well, and uh, I'm tired of these articles about the equipment. And I, and I remember I asked uh, David Forrest about this. It's very odd that we're the only sport that doesn't really regulate its equipment. Like all the other sports do. Like we don't know what ball we're playing with. Bats are changing in front of us. Should, should major league baseball step in and with the players union and figure out, okay, this is the one ball we're going to play with. And this is the bat we're going to play with.
2: Well, didn't they have an issue with that in new England with the football?
1: Well, that was deflating.
2: (laughs) (laughs) That's an excellent point. And that's the thing. There are so many other larger issues that are on the table for the CBA, which expires December 1st. This should be on the list. Can they get to it on the list? I don't know, but yeah, you would think that everybody should be able to use brand X and only brand X in order to, for pitchers to feel like they can get tackiness on the baseball or do a better job in manufacturing to find a way to already have tackiness built in like they do in Japan. I don't know what the answer is, but I mean, clearly with players basically calling out each other, you know, they're eating they, you know, the, the, the mothers are eating their young, so to speak. They're all, you know, they're not unwilling to at least admit that it's out there, that it's an issue. And I'm talking about pitchers saying that, not just hitters complaining about the spin rates and how pitchers are able to manipulate the baseball baseball in a way that it's, making it more and more difficult to hit. It, it would make sense for, for something like that to happen. Whether or not they actually get to that on a list of the things they really have to address this year, I think, remains to be seen. Um, yeah, I would like to have a little more transparency of what's been happening so far. You know, We started with this Trevor Bauer thing when the Dodgers were in town, and they we, we actually witnessed with our own eyes them physically taking baseballs out of play and then taking them up to the umpire's room and that's what i tweeted about it and it exploded and it was just simply tell us what the process is I, i'm not i'm not attempting to accuse trevor bauer or anybody of you know, something illegal but clearly we found out after the fact this is a common occurrence that baseballs are taken out of play almost every game and they are up for inspection you know what's happening you know in the back room that's what i want to and who is making that decision who is looking at the baseball who is an expert in, a, in an area that could say, well, clearly they're using X, Y, and Z, where they're not allowed to use that. They can only can use A, B, and C. So I don't know what, what the answer is, but there, there has to be a, a more clarity and more transparency on how that specifically that process works. And to call out somebody like Joe West did in the middle of a game, you know, that's just Joe West being Joe West. I mean, they could do that every game if they wanted to. I mean, even look at Liam Hendricks. Who pitched for the A's and pitched successfully? You saw stuff on his cap, and they suddenly decided in the middle of the game to to make a you know make the pitcher for the Cardinals the subject of of consternation. And just I don't get it, and I, th- I think there's a better way to handle that. I don't know what the, I don't know if they're going to get to that point to do that.
1: You know, on that day, it's not like you were playing Colombo. You were just you were just saying what was happening.
2: I'm just simply reporting. Yeah, and I, and, I, and I said that after the fact because I had never seen. But certainly Trevor Bauer is a polarizing figure. And, and I noticed that when when it between retweets and, and likes and, and whatever goes in Twitter land, it got up to a, a, close to a million, which is what? This is stupid. And it was simply because of that one name. And I specifically said, all I, I'm just telling you what I saw. We're waiting to see what the answer will be afterwards. And it took us a while to get, you know, their version of an answer, which didn't really answer anything. And it's something that continues to this day, and, and there's been nobody really punished before a game starts that says this person can't start or this person is being suspended because we found something that they used in the previous game that leads us to to say, you know, you should be suspended. And there's so many other, well, I didn't do it. Uh, the ball was already there or it was in the bag. or you know, There's so many different ways that you truly need to be uh, Perry Mason to, to figure this out. And right now Hamilton Berger is the DA trying to, Try to, you know, exercise the law. And we saw his record on t- on television. He didn't win very many cases against Perry Mason. So, and that's kind of where we are right now.
1: Hey, it was hot. I was using sunscreen, man. I was yeah. trying to protect yeah. my skin. I don't want skin cancer. What <laughs> are you talking about here? I mean, oh, you wow. see, I mean,
2: I, I saw even in, in uh, last night's game, even in the last games here at home, on both sides, A's and uh, Mariners or A's and Angels over the weekend. The pitcher gets a new baseball, goes to his forearm, rubs it, gets the baseball, rubs it up and goes to work. It's like it's. It's like breathing right now. It's commonplace. And so the question is whatever substance is on that guy's arm, why is it, or isn't it acceptable to use in a manner that allows them to manipulate the baseball?
1: You know, it's funny. We had Paul Himbakitis from ESPN, the morning show, get up. And, uh, we were talking about this and he goes, yeah, when you're using bullfrog and, and Roz, I said, Hey, I didn't know it either. Bullfrog's out of business. <laughs> you're like the only guy that knew.
2: Yeah. I'm not the guy that knew I'll have to give a credit where credit is due. Uh, that came from Vuce. Steve Usinich would know inside the clubhouse. And he's heard, you know, certainly he's heard a lot of the shows and he said, yeah, the, you know, those guys keep talking about bullfrog and it's kind of like a, it's almost like a general term now. I like mean, you say bullfrog, yeah. You're thinking of you're thinking of sunscreen, but bullfrog to their credit, at least, Had that kind of uh, standing in the community, but apparently not good enough to sell it. So,
1: So do I go copper tone now? (laughs) What do I
2: go? (laughs) That's for you to decide. Walk down the aisle, (laughs) pick out a couple of brand names, and 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 do what you want.
1: Well, you know, my favorite is the generic CVS uh, (laughs) fifty SPF. That's my favorite. Uh, When you look at tonight's game, just kind of like how the team scuff a little bit. How big of a start is it for uh, Chris Bassett?
2: I think Chris Bassett's fine. I mean, Chris Bassett is, he, he's one of the best pitchers in the league. He, he knows what's at stake. He knows that likely he may not get a lot of offense. That hasn't bothered him so far, especially on the great run that he's on right now. I think it's more important to figure out what the A's can do offensively. Wow. I mean, they are, they are, they are in a, basically in a total team funk outside of maybe Matt Olson. And to a certain extent, you get encouraged by what you saw from Chad Pinder last night. But everybody else, there's uh, there's not a whole lot that's that's consistent to me. What's been encouraging to see, and and it's lost in the shuffle of his team struggling to score runs, is how much Matt Olson has begun to use the entire field. He was you know a hard pull, better than fifty percent pull guy, for a good portion of his career, and now you're seeing him. And we saw it again last night. Bullet the left center, doubles down the left field line. He's taking the pitch away, and he's doing some damage with it. I don't think it's necessarily going to reduce the shifts. He's been shifted all but six times. He's been at the plate. So I don't see that happening. That probably was because of a scenario with runners on base. So, uh, but to see him do the kind of things that Joe fan is asking the player to do, which they think is so easy, we'll just hit the ball, the opposite field, just hit that 95 mile an hour moving pellet coming at you and just serve it the other way. It's certainly easier said than done, but I think what Matt Olson has accomplished here recently, and I'm talking about, you know, 10-day to two-week trend that we've seen more of that center, left center, left field line. uh, That's really encouraging for a player that has already proven he's a premier offensive threat, and if he can add this to his arsenal on a consistent basis, it makes him tougher to defend, gets him more hits, gets the average up, gets him a chance to drive in more runs if the A's get some guys on base.
1: You know, if we could go down the clubhouse, I would like to ask him, is one of the reasons he's made some of these adjustments – is because he's watched Mitch Moreland and the success that Mitch has had at times going the other way, if not almost hitting one out down the left field line. But a couple of times, Mitch has hit a ground ball to short gotten that base hit. I wonder if he's looked at that and gone, Hey, that's not a bad strategy.
2: Well, I, I think it's encouraging whether it's because that's part of the equation or he just simply is recognizing what teams are doing to him. And there are, there are RBIs as well as base hits to the other side of second base, you know, and he's even tried to lay a bunt down once already this year, which didn't go well. But he is thinking about those things, even though he knows that it's not going to, it's not going to change the shift. But if they keep on pitching him over there and, and he gets a chance to do what he's done to that side of the field, it just makes him a, a tougher player to defend.
1: Yeah, then yesterday's ball, I think uh, if we got to ask him, that, that ball, it was smoked at him. But I think on most days he makes that play. And then that could have changed the outcome of the game.
2: I, I think so, and I, I think there have been more than one occasion this year where, where Matt also would tell you that that as good a defender as he is, and I don't think there's anybody better at the position in the league, there just have been moments where it it just hasn't clicked. You know, that spin move that he does sometimes, he's dropped the ball a couple times on that, missing that ball at first base, even though it was a, it, it. would have taken an above-average play, but I think we all agree Matt's an above-average defender, and I think he he views himself as such. Uh, certainly, after the game, you could see his disappointment on the Zoom when he was asked about it. You know, it just the thing that's good about Matt is that he slows the game down so much, and things roll off his back pretty quickly. He's not happy with it, certainly, and it may have been the factor that caused the A's to lose the game. If you want to dial way down into it, but he's uh, he's back out there today, ready to make another play, and I think he will. And I think that's what makes Matt Olson a you know a premier player of the league.
1: So when you fill out your scorebook, I know you put the averages right next to the players. When you filled out your, I know you've probably already done it today. What was <laughs> it like filling it out for not only the A's, but especially like the, the back five for the Seattle Mariners? Yeah, it's tough. You know, and, and what's what's disappointing
2: too for the rest of the series, two of the best center fielders are not going to be playing. Ramon Laureano's on the IL now, and Kyle Lewis is on the IL. Sky Bolt is now back in the big leagues with the A's, and uh, Taylor Chamel is up for Seattle That's unfortunate, especially for the A's. We we know how important Ramon's energy is to the success of the ball club. And without having him in the lineup, it has certainly made a a big difference. Uh, Yeah, I get it. It, It's hard to hit. I know you've said this on more than one occasion. There are teams that are are hitting the ball like uh, the Astros and a few others. The A's have got to find ways, and they've gone, what, five straight games now without a home run? I'd like to see them go six games without a home run and win. And you know, string hits together to where, while it is certainly an integral part of their identity and probably, you know, one a of who they are offensively, uh, they've they've got to find ways to to score multiple runs and in innings consistently without without relying or expecting or waiting for the long ball. And on the pitching side, and I I think Chris Bassett, I say this and it, it might just all explode tonight, but the one thing that's really affected the A's pitching recently has been one big inning. And how do, you, how do you put a Band-Aid on a big inning? I mean, I think that's an important question that young pitchers have got to learn, how to limit the damage. You can give up one run, at times you give up two, but when you get to three and four and sometimes five, uh, you've got to do a better job of just of shutting that down. And the A's have not done a good job of that here in the last week, and that's put them in a position that they are right now.
1: It's like a bad golf hole. You just can't stop it. It's just bad shot after bad shot. after. Then you get to the next tee and go, what did I just do? How many
2: shots are you going to give me on Thursday?
1: <laughs> I mean, you remember it's your course. Remember we
2: when the, I we got the big Townsend Corrack Cup at stake. Shooty's playing. I'm playing. We're playing your home track on an off day. I mean, you should be kind to us. You, you- surely should be giving us tips on how to play the course. You, you're out there 24-7.
1: Do you remember when I said I thought I might have figured it out? <laughs> don't, don't say that. <laughs> don't say that. Yeah. You know, my,
2: you know what my son always says to me when, when he would take me to the range and he would try to help me? Dominic's a pretty good golfer, as we know. And I would hit a good shot, and his response is, Dad, do it again. It's like, So you did it once. you got to do it like 10 times in a row for me to even think that you have an idea of what you're doing. So that's where we all are. Well, that's that- where I am.
1: That's where, you know, when Phil Mickelson talked about his whole deal of now playing 30 to 40 something holes to try and train his mind to stay fresh as he's now 50. It made me think, yeah, and it got to be the same thing for whether you're talking about football, whether you're talking about basketball, to concentrate and be good and not make mistakes for that long. That's just not easy to do. No, it doesn't matter if you're in hockey. It doesn't matter if you're playing tennis. It's just for these pre- these professional athletes, especially as you get older, it's tough to keep that edge for an entire round game, whatever. Sure.
2: It's, it's why we make out lineups and we sit in the booth and we enjoy the, the beauty and the success and the talent with the guys we see on the field.
1: How Man's you? got to know his
2: limitations, Tony.
1: Yeah, and I got I got a lot of them, and that's why there's the beer cart girl. It always seems to make <laughs> me a little better. So we're playing uh, 36
2: on Thursday now? Is that what you're saying? You want to play more than 18?
1: <laughs> uh, Scott Service, you're a very good friend. Yeah. He's kind of waving a magic wand right now.
2: It's been amazing to watch how they've kept things together. Ken and I were talking about this last night, uh, the standpoint of the team that has gone through a COVID disaster, and they basically predicted it, and he's been very outspoken about their team, nowhere close to 85%. And I think the A's are right on the verge of you know, being there and, and seeing them in the dugout without masks, which is going to be encouraging. But they're not there. And it, and it was you know something they predicted was going to happen. There was going to be an outbreak. And there was. And now they're still playing good baseball. They're keeping it together. I mean, Jared Keldick's batting 118. And he's in the lineup every day. He clearly has some skills. And he has a chance to be an exciting player. But he has a lot to learn. But they're, they're running that stuff out there, and they're winning games. And uh, you know, it's a good stretch for them, and I give Scott a lot of credit for, for at least for the moment, uh, keeping things uh, in a positive way inside that clubhouse because it could be really challenging when you've got you know, issues on and off the field to try to win games.
1: Once the A's do get to 85%, does that mean you guys can get back out on the road? Well, our fingers are crossed. Yeah, I think that would, that would be the hope. Uh, I still think we're looking toward the second half of the
2: season. Uh, there are teams that are already traveling their radio teams. Uh, the Tigers are doing this. The White Sox are doing this. Uh, We're hopeful that uh, that would be the case. We'll have to wait and see how it plays out. That's what I think. That's what we would all like, uh, and we'll have to see if we can get there.
1: Well, just to get you off that dang monitor. Yeah, it's a challenge. It's
2: it's it's a tough way to do the game. And you know, Ken and I both love being around the, the the batting cage. We both have great relationships with coaching staff, manager, and players, and we like. Getting behind the scenes stories. I think as a fan, you rely on us as the conduit to the clubhouse. You've you've got some things that are in your head. I wonder why such and such happened last night. And they know that they can count on us to get some of that information and and relay that in the next night's broadcast. I think that's what allows us to do the job in the way that in the manner that we do. And it gives us great pleasure to do it that way.
1: Yeah. Other sports, I think you can do off a monitor because you don't have a ball flying all over the place baseball from line to line pop fly uh, balls in the corner you, i mean you're, you're relying on cameramen so uh, you guys have done a great job it it, it doesn't sound like you're not there it, it has always sounded like you're there so that's the most important
2: thing well we we appreciate you know the, the, the tv shots that were given there are challenges that come with it but everybody for the most part for the past year has been in the same boat even all the way through the world series i mean dan Showman was doing the World Series from Connecticut while they were playing the games down in, in Arlington, Texas. So uh, we're not alone in this. Uh, we're hopeful that we're part of you know, moving forward and getting to the, to the next step of uh, normalcy, and it would mean an awful lot just to be down there and ask a lot of stupid questions to the players, which is one of my strengths.
1: Uh, have a good call. We appreciate you stopping by. All right, Tony. Good talking to you. Hello, Glenn Kuyper.
0: Hi, Tony. How are you?
1: I'm doing well. How are you?
0: Doing fine, doing fine. Just uh, writing my lineup in and uh, getting ready
1: to roll. Okay, we're going to take two guesses. My guess is uh, uh, Caesar Chicken Wrap. What is your guess, Cody?
3: Uh, it's going to be the sandwich with like olives. I forget what it's called. Um, it's like some deli sandwich. I can't remember the name of it. How about... Neither cause I ate late at home before I
0: came to the studio is that a lame answer?
1: Oh, that's right. you're in the studio oh i I thought oh, you're yeah park oh okay well yeah the, i I
0: know what sandwiches you're talking about yes, <laughs> yeah, some are better so,
1: so, some some are clearly better than others i I mean the favorite is always going to be the buffalo chicken wrap. that's always gonna be the buffalo favorite chicken
0: yeah. The buffalo chicken wrap is pretty good. It, it's got a little zing to it. It sort of stays with you for the evening. Um, but some of the sandwiches, you know, the chips are the best part of the, uh, the meal, which is not always a great sign. But
1: that's all right. I miss the lunchroom, though.
0: Man, do I miss the lunchroom.
1: I know. Just, you know, getting together every night, having dinner yeah. together before the ball game was always a lot that's of it. fun. You know, it's amazing what, what, what we take for granted in life.
0: I know, I know, I do. But it, it was a nice, the lunchroom was always kind of a nice, um, you know, just a nice way to relax a little bit for 45 minutes before the game and, uh, you know, laugh a little bit and relax a little bit. And uh, I miss that. I, I hope we get to do it again. I don't know if we will, maybe next year. I don't know about this year, but um, oh well. What can you do?
1: So h- how is it doing it from a studio?
0: um getting used to it you know still not great um it's never going to be great um it's not easy to do although you know that's just you know that's the reality of it right now so i'm fine with that but there's a few challenges um you know you miss the atmosphere because that can really carry you whether it be you know at the coliseum or or on a in a road ball park, either way it you know the atmosphere in the crowd kind of carries you a little bit because you're right there so you miss that um and there's certain parts of the game that you just don't see um you know we have a couple monitors that help us and um but you know you just you, you don't you don't have any feel for the ballpark at all obviously and and that that limits the things you can talk about um but you know Hey, if if this is what we have to do to play 162 games or televise 162 games, that's fine. You know, I'm I'm fine with that. So make the best of it.
1: You know, going into tonight's action, uh, the A's are just not hitting. And they're such a streaky team. It's, you know, it's either streaky really good or streaky really bad. And I don't know if any of us know how to, like, suggest what to do to get out of that.
0: Yeah, you know, it's tough. We talk a lot about it. You know, Ray and I and, and Dallas, you know, we all kick it around. You know, what's, what do we like about the team? What are some of the areas that are not as good as we had hoped? And, you know, offensively, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know there. I mean, I'm, I, I'm looking at the, the team stat. You know, they're hitting 226 as a team, which isn't great. Um, numbers are down batting average wise across baseball, but even that is, is pretty low. You know, they're eighth in the league in runs scored, so they're sort of in the middle there. Home runs, they you know, they're third in the league. Um, so, yeah, I, you know, you look back to even last year, Tony, even though it was a 60-game season, they were sort of in the middle of the pack in runs scored last year too. So they're going to hit home runs. They just need to – I think they just need to get more base runners. You know, they need to get more guys on base. Um, easy to say. Um, and, and I think what we also talked a lot about is where can the improvements come from? You know, Chapman's really struggling. Uh, you know, there's room for improvement there a lot. You know, Piscotty is struggling, but he's not playing every day. So it's hard to get going if you're not playing every day. Um, you know, Elvis Andrus has not been great offensively. Uh, is is the, How much more is there there with Elvis Andrus? You know, so you sort of look at where is where are the improvements going to come from? Um, and there's a couple guys that, you know, need to get rolling. But are the A's going to vault into being, you know, the top run scoring team in the American League? I don't think that's going to happen, but I, I think they they can be a little bit better. And I think they need to be a little bit better um, as, as this season goes on.
1: Yeah, and I think of Matt Chapman, and it's just, you know, 70 strikeouts in 56 games. It's, you know, I mean, the struggles last year and then the injury and thinking that this year was going to be a different year. But it's just, it, it's been a struggle and it's just, it, it's been hard to watch. I, you know, I, I don't know what they do. I mean, I mean it's just a, a lot of non-contact from him.
0: Yeah, you know, he just looks, he looks, at, and this is a, as confident as a, of a young player as you'll see. Um, so I don't know how much of his confidence is shaken, but he just looks, he looks in the middle, you know, he's, he takes fastballs for strikes. Uh, you know, he'll chase out of the zone on breaking balls. And and you also see him missing some fastballs that I think generally he usually hits, you know, so I'm not. You know, I'm not Darren Bush. I don't know how much he's pulling off or this or that. You know, mechanically, I, I I'm not sure exactly what's happening, but the strikeouts are alarming, Tony. I mean, you're talking about you're talking about a guy who has three fewer strikeouts than Joey Gallo, and we know what Joey Gallo is all about, right? It's a it's a it's a walk. It's a home run. Or it's a strikeout. Um, so. Yeah, I, I think there is some concern with Matt Chapman, and he knows that. And, you know, he's going to have to really, really grind through it because this is not a two-week thing now. I mean, this is going on, you know, we're two months into the season, and, and it's really been a struggle for him.
1: You know, we're a day after Memorial Day, and it's definitely the, the third of the season is gone. What, 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 what do we know about the American League West so far? yeah that's
0: a good question I I, you know I think I think it's still very much a two-team race um you know I like some of Seattle's young players you know and they're playing well right now I don't know that 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 you know they're going to be hanging around in August and September I, I don't think that they will the Angels can't seem to get out of get out of their way and Texas is Texas and so this is a two-team race. Um, you know, we've seen the Astros enough to know their offense is really, really good. Um, you know, their starting pitching is decent. The bullpen probably needs some help. Um, so I just think it's, you know, it's, it's clearly the two best teams, A's and Astros, that's not really up for discussion. And now it's a matter of, you know, does somebody get hot? Does somebody make a trade? Uh, you know, who, who kicks it into gear between these two teams when we get to the second half of the season. Uh, But in seeing the Astros, that that's sort of my take on them. They, they, that's a really, really good lineup. It's balanced. It's deep. Um, You know, young starters, are they ready to get to 180, 190 innings? That remains to be seen. And I think they need help with the bullpen.
1: You know, I, I, I if you look at the players on Seattle and you look at their statistics, you just go, How is this happening?
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's a yeah, yeah, you're right. I mean, they their numbers are not really anything special at all, whether it be, you know, pitching or they're not scoring runs, you know, their batting average is the lowest in the American League. So they they they're really not doing anything statistically that jumps out at you. And we're also seeing them right now where they're playing well right now. I mean, you know, they've they've won five in a row, and you know, they're two and a half back. I, I do like their young players, um, but I I just I don't know that that it's a Mariners team that's ready to compete uh, for the length of a, a full season with the A's and the Astros. But I do think the future could be pretty good in Seattle because uh, I, I I like their young outfielders. Lewis got put on the injured list today, so he's going to be out for a while, but, but they are headed in the right direction in Seattle. I just don't know that they're, that they have what it takes to hang around this year.
1: Now, of course, sleeping in your own bed, being at home with the family is a great thing, but if you could say one thing that you miss about being on the road, what would that be?
0: Um, Boy, that's a good question. Um, I don't know. I mean, I I, I think I would probably say I miss being at the ballparks uh, because all the ballparks are great. It's fun being there uh, and, 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 you know, you're doing the game. So I, I would say that's what I miss, actually being at the different ballparks doing the games. I don't miss the hotels. I don't, you know. I don't really miss flying around. I do not miss riding on buses everywhere. <laughs> um, you know, I don't really like, you know, walking around all day by myself. I miss my family, but I do miss being at, at, at the other team's ballparks because that is fun. Great crowds, you know, you see lots of people that you work with every year and you have fun with them. And so that's probably the part that I miss the most.
1: And and that's something that I've been saying on the A's Clubhouse show because obviously I'm having to talk about ballpark issues and it's old, yeah. but I gotta talk about it. And I try and tell everybody, I said, listen, when we travel around or when I was traveling around with the Raiders, everywhere yeah. you go, know, everybody has something brand new. The only people that don't have something brand new it's because they have these historic stadiums like Fenway and Wrigley and Dodger stadium. Everybody else basically has whether it's a football stadium, a basketball arena. So when you travel around, you realize, man, everybody has something that we don't have. Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, you
0: know, I feel for you, Tony, because you do have to talk about this and it's a hard subject to talk about. It's hard for you. It's hard for me. I didn't grow up here, you know, you grew up in Southern California, you know. So I I try really hard to to understand and and take the people that, that lived here their whole lives and grew up going to the Coliseum, take their feelings into account when I think about this whole situation. Um, but you know, the A's does the A's and the fans, the, the fans deserve something new. Um, you know, as great as the Coliseum is, you know, you love oh, it's great. You know, Look at all the history. Hey, there's tons of history in there. I mean, come on, it's full of history. But that's not enough to not need and want a new ballpark, right? I mean, it's just at some point, it's time, and it is clearly, clearly time uh, to, to move on from the Coliseum. It's just the reality of it. We see it every day, and you're right. You go to other ballparks, and you're like, "Wow, this is unbelievable." I want our fans to experience this. Um, so it's it's a really tough situation, and you know, I, I I'm not always comfortable talking about it because I want a new ballpark. I let's go, but I understand that there's a lot of hurdles. There's a lot of politics involved there's a lot of emotion involved and you know then when you get to the real real serious stuff, you know major league baseball's involved, heavily involved. Um so there's just so much going on. It's it's a tough conversation really to have with with anybody because there's also things going on Tony that maybe we don't know about, you know. So let's hope it gets done. We got our fingers crossed, um uh, but it's not going to be easy, and and it's it's probably a little ways away yet.
1: Well, I mean, going back to your home, and we did the tour of Lambeau Field. Lambeau Field's been redone like four times.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and it's beautiful. Yeah, and 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 that's the thing. If 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 you know if you can do that, great. Um, but that's not happening at the Coliseum. We're, you know, we're not redoing the Coliseum, um, but. I just think fans, especially baseball fans, because there's so many games and they have opportunities to go to so many games, uh, it just feels like you really, you really want your group to, you know, to, to be able to enjoy nice amenities. And as great as it is sitting in a ballpark that you've always sat in, and it's the same seat and it's the same view and it's the same people around you. And, oh, I love that vibe. I get it. I do. I really get it. But there's a lot more to it than that, I think. And, uh, you know, I hope I hope A's fans kind of understand that.
1: Every sports fan should at least once in their life experience game day for the (laughs) Green Bay Packers.
0: Absolutely. And I, I know I'm biased. I grew up there. I've been a Packer fan since I was one day old. You don't you don't grow up there. Born there, grew up there, and live there without being a Packer fan—it's just it's sort of against the the um, law. <laughs> you set, kind of you got to sign a paper when you come out of the womb, you know. Like yeah, I'm a I, and I am a Packer owner, by the way. Just so you know, you are talking to ownership here. So,
1: oh, have um, you? Have, I, I, I saw the Absolutely. pictures. I saw the pictures. Absolutely. Have you ever gone back to one of the meetings? No, I have not. I have oh. not. They
0: run the meetings without me even though I am, again, ownership. But, yes, I have the certificate, so I am a, I'm an owner of the franchise. Um, but, yes, as much as, you know, maybe pack, people who are not Packer fans, I get it, but you should go one time because it's pretty awesome, and I know, Tony, you were there, and I would imagine you probably ran the show and you probably had a pretty good time.
1: Uh, and not, not, not only, and it was also Wisconsin was playing at home, and so on Saturday, it was all about the University of Wisconsin all around Green Bay. It was a great time. By the way, before, yeah. before we let you leave, when they call you about what they're going to do with Aaron Rodgers, do you say keep him or trade him?
0: Oh, it's just torture. It, it really is.
1: I, I, no, I
0: mean, I, I do not want them to trade him. I really don't.
1: Well, you're an owner. Um,
0: but I'm an owner, yeah. So I, I think they're going to wait this out right to the last minute. Um, and I try to look at the positive. You don't want to trade him, if, but if you have to, yeah, you know, I mean, if you could get a good quarterback back and a huge package for him, you could sort of set up your organization in a pretty good spot for the future, right? With, you know, a bunch of draft picks and you're going to get a couple other players. So is that what you want to do and is that worth giving up Rodgers? That's a really, really tough call. Ultimately, no, I do not want to see him go. But he is hes pretty stubborn. And if he has something in his head, I think it may be hard to change his mind. You know, So I don't know. I think it's going to be a weird, weird two months in Packer land.
1: Hey, before we let you go, I, I just want to say I really, really do appreciate what you guys are doing for A's cast and A's cast live on NBC sports, California, you Ray Delair, Dallas, Cody, get on here and say, thank you too, because you guys are giving us the the, the best promotion that we've gotten from anybody. And uh, Cody, as you know, we, we can't thank you guys enough for what you're doing for us.
3: Yeah, Glenn. I appreciate
0: oh, absolutely. it. Absolutely. I mean, that's, Hey, you know what, you guys, and I, and I mean this in all sincerity. We are all on the same team. We are all in this together. Radio, TV, covering the A's, promoting our team, promoting our players. You know, th- this is this is what it's all about, and we are all in it together. And we'll do absolutely everything to help you guys, and you guys will do the same for us. So, AceCast is terrific. Uh, we just want as many people to to, to get it. And listen to it, um, because it's worth listening to. You know, you have people want you want wall to wall age coverage. Well, then you got one place to go. And anything we can do to help, we absolutely will.
1: Have a good call tonight, buddy. We'll see you soon. All right, you know what?
0: I need a W bad tonight. I don't know how you guys feel, but I kind of need one.
1: <laughs> I need a W so I don't have to talk about ballpark tonight.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's fair. That's fair. That's worth a W right there. All right, see you guys. Have a
1: good one. Well, it's been a while. How is life treating you?
4: Hey, Chris, real good. Uh, you know, it's, it's been an interesting two months of the baseball season. And, uh, you know, I'm thrilled that ballparks, especially here in California, are starting to open up. And I know, you know, we have the state reopening June 15th. So after, you know, it's been a really, really difficult year on everybody. Um, you know, boy, it's it's nice to have. A little bit of optim have the vaccines available, have a little bit of optimism that uh we, we're starting to move back toward normal. And uh I you can you know, good riddance to all those cardboard fans we were talking about a year ago. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I know. I mean just you know, recently the A's playing the Angels and hearing that they're gonna be full bore on June seventeenth. We're We're going to open up here on June 29th. And just to have full capacity again, I think is going to mean a lot for the state of California.
4: Oh, big time. And I know, you know, there's certain, you know, it's kind of fun watching even across the country. I mean, I know Texas, of course, they're, they're kind of like their own country anyway, you know, they, they went full capacity opening day, you know, the Rangers did. And Houston, I think is there too, but, it's kind of fun watching across the country. I know uh, in Fenway park the other day, like Boston just reopened, uh, uh, you know, and and Fenway park just over the weekend, they went full capacity. Uh, You know, it's watching across the country, city to city, watching various teams increase from whatever it is, 25% capacity to 40% capacity on this date. And then, okay, this date we're going to be at a hundred percent. It's again, that just that, that, you know brings a smile and it fuels the optimism that uh you know both locally and nationally that you know boy hopefully we're 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 on our way and we're through the worst of it uh you know we'll be back to normal soon
1: and memorial day is such a special date on the calendar for major league baseball because it's worked so close with our armed forces for so many years yeah. and, and remembering those people who have sacrificed their lives for our freedom and the people who continue to serve to this day. And I know being down in San Diego, their connection with the military, this has always been a special day for our game. No question.
5: Yeah, it has.
4: It's a, uh, it, it's a combination. I think you're right. Number one, the military connection and what it means and, and, you know, I mean, baseball has always been, you know, tied into a degree with the military. Just going back, you know, since baseball is 150 years old and, 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 and older. But, you know, you go back to even like World War II, you know, after Pearl Harbor, uh, you know, when, when then Commissioner Judge Landis, you know, talked to pre- then President FDR and, and the next spring and offered said, basically, we need some direction, you know, the country's at war, are we going to just, you know, we'll we'll just shut down the sport if if it's for the good of the country, because, you know, I remember back then, baseball was sending, you know, young people off to war, Uh, several baseball players left the sport to go fight along with, you know, regular civilians, and Baseball was ready to shut down, and FDR, in the famous green light letter, which is at the Baseball Hall of Fame, by the way, uh, the actual original letter, uh, FDR sent a note back to Judge Landis and said, "No, for the good of the country, we need baseball this year." He said in the explanation, basically, was people are are more anxious during wartime; they're anxious, uh, they're working longer hours than ever before. Uh, everything is grim, basically. And what we need at the end of these days, people need a reason. They need a little bit of entertainment. They need a reason to smile. And that's why baseball needs to continue. And that was back in World War II days. But, you know, on and on. I mean, whether you're talking the Korea War, of Vietnam, and I'm not, you know, whether you agree or disagree, whatever, I, I don't care if you're Democrat, Republican, whatever, I'm not arguing these wars are good or bad, but I'm saying when troops have been overseas fighting, you know, it's been a tie back home baseball uh, through the years. And so that's always been special. And then you add in Memorial day weekend is really, you know, it's the unofficial beginning of summer and baseball of course is, is our summer game. And this is kind of when I think even people that maybe the casual fans that don't pay as much attention early in the year, maybe they're distracted by the NBA or whatever, I think even the casual fans, because everybody's ready for summer by now, I think by Memorial Day, everybody starts to tune in and focus on the game.
1: Yeah, some of the biggest names our sport has ever seen have left baseball to fight for our country. When you think about Ted Williams and Bob Feller and and some of these guys, it's pretty amazing what those guys gave up and what they sacrificed in their careers.
4: Yeah, I mean, you know, all those, you mentioned a couple of Hall of Famers, and. You know, you look at their career statistics, and they're they're already so good. But then you stop and realize those in you know those two you just mentioned, Ted Williams and Bob Feller, you know, they, they, there's a gap on their statistical line on their resume. That there's a one or two year gap where they didn't even play because they were off. And then you wonder, well, geez, if, if their careers now been interrupted. You know, what could their statistics even look like? Had, they kept playing and they, because they're already pretty good even given uh they're already hall of fame good given the gaps in the careers from when they went off to fight and um you know so yeah it's uh you know it's it's it, it's just, it, it as you said it's always been a special weekend and uh you know for many many reasons
1: And it's also been a point where you step back and check out your ball club and go, okay, where are we at Memorial Day? And I got to think for the A's, even though we're not happy about this three and four homestand, but still in first place by a game and a half. How do you see Oakland so far?
4: Yeah, you know, real good. And you're right. That's the other thing is Memorial Day weekend. Really, it's kind of the first, uh, the first check mark where you first checkpoint during the season uh where you kind of look begin to look at the standings a little bit seriously I mean everybody's played give or take 50 53 games right now which is getting close to a third of the season and um you know I mean that's the thing I I know I I talked to you know way back in the day, before he even retired, the Hall of Famer Paul Molitor, toward the end of his career, you know, one day, you know, way back, he was with the Twins. I'm covering the Twins, and you know, we were talking about sometime in May about that particular Twins team and what he thought. And you know, I always remember him saying, "You know," I, he said his philosophy was always, "You know, you need to wait till about it takes about forty or fifty games into a season." for a team to really begin to develop its personality, you know, winning, losing, what's the clubhouse like, what's the chemistry like. And, and I always took that to heart, you know, that, that it's really, I, I do believe that it takes 40 or 50 games before you really begin to judge. And, you know, kind of in a similar vein, I know Billy Bean uh, has always said, uh, the first two months of the season are to basically evaluate your club. And then the next two months are to try to improve your club after the evaluation time to figure out what you need. If you can win, if you try to improve, figure out what you need. Maybe you go get those guys. And then so the last two months of the season, not much you can do. You just sit and watch the team play and hope for the best. And, you know, so we're through, we're just about through that first two months now where you, you evaluate and now you move on to, uh, you know, how can we make things better? And and certainly, uh, you know, the A's who lo- had some key losses, which seems like we say that every summer or every winter, um, you know, I thought Marcus Semyon would, would be a big loss. And I thought, boy, that's one that's really going to hurt them. And it, what's funny is I see in, over in Toronto, you know, Semyon's moved to second base, you know, to make, obviously Bo Bichette's at shortstop. And they're talking about, the importance of Semyon and how how he's helping bring Bichette along, and he's become a leader with the Blue Jays. And I, I know anybody familiar with the A's wouldn't be surprised uh, because he's that kind of guy. But the point is, I find it interesting that in Toronto they're appreciating Semyon's leadership. You would think conversely in Oakland they would be missing his leadership. Yet all of the moves the A's have made and also no small part, Bob Melvin, who I think remains as good a manager as there is today and totally underrated on a national basis, for all those reasons, the A's, they haven't missed Semyon or Chris Davis or whoever else they traded. And, you know, I mean, you gotta like where they are right now.
1: You know, talking about the the next two months going forward, as we start thinking about the trading deadline, there's some teams with some players and they're underperforming. You know, you think about Max Scherzer with the Nationals, and they're just twenty-one and twenty-eight. You think of all the talent on the Twins; they're twenty-one and thirty-one. They're eleven games back. There yep. are be some big names out there, Scott, that are going to be ready to be dealt.
4: Yeah, there are, and uh, you know, you know, in, in Oakland in the past, is they've not been shy about trading. You know, it's a little bit reminiscent was it year 2014, I think, when they traded for John Lester, right, from Boston, and Lester came in, and he was going to be a free agent, uh, and he ended up signing with the Cubs. But the point is, uh, there's history there in Oakland. There's precedent for going out and getting a hired gun at the deadline, even if you're not going to re-sign him as a free agent. And, yeah, Scherzer would be really interesting, uh, I think, and and the Nationals are going to have to make some decisions here pretty
0: quick.
1: Yeah, it's hard to believe Max Scherzer could be, but you know that's one thing Oakland has always lacked. Scott is that superior ace going into the postseason.
4: Right, and and again, that's why it, it's just why it, it, part of what keeps the game so fascinating because it's so unpredictable. You know, I mentioned the Lester acquisition, and and to your point, Chris, about that's what Oakland's always lacked—a big time ace going into the postseason. And I think back to the Lester, because I was all on board. I remember at the time writing exactly what you said. The A's have lacked that playoff-tested ace that can carry him through October. I love the John Lester trade. This is going to do it. And then what happened? They, the, Cespedes was in that deal, and Lester didn't do what we thought he could do. The lineup turned out to really miss Cespedes, and the players weren't happy internally when Cespedes was dealt. They felt like you know it was such an important part of the team, and and that's what I mean. You think back that to me should have been a no-brainer trade. It was like I was all in, and I thought this is really gonna this is exactly what the A's need. It turned out it wasn't, but to your point, yes, they they traditionally haven't had. That ace level pitcher, I thought Lester would be that guy way back when he wasn't. Maybe Scherzer would be this year or somebody else. Um, but again, where I say is what keeps the game fascinating because on paper it might look this way, and then a move is made, and you think absolutely that that's that's the lock, and it isn't. Or conversely, there might be a move made, and you're like, eh, I'm not. I don't know about that and then that turns out to be the move that seals the deal into October so you know it's going to be the, the best thing you could say I think in a 162 game season it's it goes it kind of goes back to that cliche about you know you want your team to play meaningful games in the stretch run you want to play meaningful games you know late August and through the month of September and the A's have been really good and that's what keeps it interesting that's what keeps The fans going back for more. You know what might happen this year? Hey, this is year we can do it. This is your hey. It's September fifteenth. Can't wait for tonight's game. It's important. And the A's have done a great job over the years of playing meaningful games down the stretch. And the the one thing I can say, almost with a guarantee, barring some crazy collapse which I don't see, is that however this year plays out for the A's, as you said, they're in first place right now as we sit. They haven't had the greatest past week. But 31 and 24, a lot of good signs. I think the trade deadline is going to be fascinating in Oakland, see what they what they uh, add. And I think they're going to be playing meaningful games down the stretch, and I think it's going to be a lot of fun.
1: Let's end on this, because I know you're still around the Padres. Yep. Uh, wow, the National League West is uh, – you want to talk about wild. Uh, the Padres, the Giants are shocking people. Dodgers are still there, but people thought they'd run away with the division. Uh, Just talk about that three-headed monster and what this race has been like so far.
4: Yeah, I mean, I'm like most people. I did not see this coming from San Francisco and the fact that, uh, you know, the Giants are right there, 13 games over 500. Again, going back to what we talked about at the beginning of the conversation, Chris, about Memorial Day weekend and, and two months into the season, fifty some games. Now is when a team pretty much has developed its personality, and I think you hit Memorial Day weekend. You look at the Giants, thirteen over five hundred. You get to a point where it's like we're at the point of the year now where you say these guys are for real. You, you know they're not. This isn't just some crazy fluky early season hot streak, but. They can play, and good for the Giants. They're, they've certainly barged into that conversation that you know f- began last winter. That man, this going to be a the, the Padres and Dodgers are going to have a great race this year. Well, add the Giants to that list, and uh, it, it looks like it's going to be a lot of fun. I thought, what a weekend in the West uh, this past weekend. That well, holiday today we're kind of still in it, but Friday, Saturday, Sunday. The Giants a week ago, as you well know, the Dodgers came to San Francisco and swept them. I, like I'm sure many, thought, okay, this is where things begin to go a little bit south for the Giants. But you know what happened? They 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 go down to LA and, and they take three out of four in Dodger Stadium, and, and you know, there's no question they got the Dodgers' attention with that. You know, meanwhile, San Diego's in Houston, and that Saturday game was crazy. The Padres should have lost. They're down three runs with two outs in the ninth inning and Fernando Tatis Jr. Pops a foul ball down the first baseline. that should have been caught for the third out and the Astros first baseman uh, muffed it and the next pitch, Tatis j- jacks for a three run Homer game time two two outs, ninth inning Homer and the Padres after trailing Houston, five, nothing and eight, five, come back and win 11 to eight. So, I mean, there's no question the Padres, Dodgers and Giants, all three have something special going right now. It's funny, the Dodgers of the team is sucking air a little bit, not only after the Giants whacked him around this weekend. But, uh, you know, Corey Seager has the broken hand. He's out for a couple of months and Mookie Betts is banged up. He didn't play a couple of games over the weekend and uh, Cody Bellinger just came back. So. There's yeah, a long way to go, and the Dodgers are going to have a big-time battle on their hands as they try to win their ninth consecutive NLS title.
1: Well, it's great to hear your voice. Hopefully, we'll all be traveling soon, and we can see you. But uh, be well, be safe, enjoy Memorial Day, and let's talk soon.
4: Sounds great, Chris. You, t- you too, enjoy the games today, and, and we'll, be, we'll talk soon, and uh, all the best.
0: Wednesday is known as Hump Day for everyone during the work week. But on A's Cast Live, Wednesday means one thing. It's time for 30 uninterrupted minutes with the two-time World Series champion, two-time All-Star, two-time Rawlings Gold Glove winner, A's analyst on NBC California, and the face of the franchise, Ray Fossey.
1: Ray, I, I, Bob Melvin might be uh, giving you a run for your money now for the face of the franchise.
5: He's got it, buddy. How you doing, Tommy?
1: I'm doing great. How are you? Good afternoon.
5: Hey, you know what? I just heard from our man, Delero Lourdes, saying you got three million downloads on AceCast.
1: Three. Yeah, we're, we we found out today we, we have three million now. And to think that where we started this from scratch.
5: Congratulations.
1: So quickly to be at three million, you know, if it wasn't for Cody, I, I don't know how we would have got there.
5: Well, congratulations to both of you because you guys make up an outstanding team and listen on the same well day after the skipper becomes the winningest manager in Oakland A's history and you guys announced 3 million. I mean, that's tremendous. So congratulations to all of you. Great job.
1: Cody's Bob Melvin and I'm Mark Kotze.
5: <laughs> well, you know, it's interesting. Um, Everybody's talking glowingly about the skipper, Bob Melvin. But the, the one guy that stands out, I was thinking as, as I was listening to you that Ryan Christensen, you know, typically a coach, because, well, he's a bench coach because he wants to be a manager. And I remember asking Ryan Christensen, I said, Rhino, you know, excellent player when he played, coaching, managing mileage. He said, you know what? I'm happy exactly where I am because I'm learning so much from the best manager in baseball in Bob Melvin. I mean, you're talking about an endorsement. I mean, a guy is willing to be a bench coach and learn from a manager versus going out. And soon as a manager job, I mean, sure. He's going to interview, but the bottom line, he enjoys being right where he is. And I think that's, that's admirable for the skipper. I mean, he is, you know, they talk about player managers, Tony, and I think what a manager in today's world of the social media has to do. And um, I heard that you're off of one particular site, which um, doesn't matter. But um, <laughs> but but you know, I, I think in the world of social media, every player knows everything. I mean, just like our games on television are archived to where I can go back on, say, April the fifth, and punch in, you know, archive and watch that game as if it just happened today. So, you know, all the things that are said and all the things that are done and on social media, you know, it comes out. So let's say a manager throws a player under the bus. You think he's not going to know about it the next day? You know, friends are going to call, hey, you know, look what the manager said. So I, I think it's more of building up a player. And I think Matt Chapman's a perfect example. Who knows? I mean, he's going to come out of it. But, you know, Bob Melvin talks about the hip surgery. He talks about losing time. I know from from playing after collision, although I didn't have surgery, I kind of wish I would have. But, you know, you develop that, I wouldn't say necessarily bad habits, but you develop different habits. And in some cases, they are bad to where you do not come back from them. So maybe the fact that what Chapman's doing is working through some of the things that have caused him to change things that's the hip, and you know, I, I still remember last year looking down from our booth and seeing uh, uh, Chappie talking to Brian Schulman, one of the A's uh, uh, trainers. And next thing you know, he's on the IL. Next thing you know, he's having hip surgery. So, you know, it, it evidently and obviously was affecting him then because I think he struck out five times in one game. And that's just not him, you know. But um, but I think back to the whole thing about a manager you have to build up the confidence. And I think listening to you earlier, what you said about the skipper is important because as a manager, you want to put players in a position to be successful. And I think that's what Bob Melvin does better than anybody. And I think what he's proven that maybe some things are talked about prior to a game, but I think Bob Melvin, you watch him during a game, that's his game. That's his game. And, you know, maybe He's instructed, or maybe somebody said, well, and so-and-so uh, comes in, you know, pinch hit for this guy. And, you know, I remember when Josh Reddick was here. Josh Reddick was an outstanding right fielder. And Bob Melvin, when a lefty would come in, would not pinch hit for him. And there were times that I'm sure he got yelled at. But what Bob was saying, we have a lead. Why take out the best defensive right fielder for a subpar outfielder just because it's a different pitcher throwing And he may or may not get a hit. Pinch hitting is horrible. It's the hardest thing to do in baseball. You look at the numbers, you may have some home runs, but it's you know, you're not going up to get singles as a pinch hitter. So all that combined about the manager, I think he's the best in baseball. I think he he deserves exactly what he accomplished last night. And you know, coincidentally, evidently there were some things said by the manager that is really uncharacteristic. That what Tony Kim said it last night that the, the, he, he all of a sudden he's walking in the dugout and he hears, hears this yelling. And it, it's the manager. And, you know, everybody going, well, he's never done that. No, he hasn't because typically when he does it, it's behind closed doors. But I think there was so much frustration the way that game was going last night. Something had to be said. He said it. And look, and all of a sudden the A's respond with tremendous at-bats and they get double figures and runs and hits and everything is great.
1: Yeah, we've been so lucky to have him, Ray, and he's had – so many curveballs thrown his way. There's yeah. so many things behind the scenes that we don't know that a Dick Williams or a Tony Larusa didn't have to deal with. I mean, the player movement. I mean, you, you think about your guys' teams in the 70s. I mean, you can write out the lineup card. You're going to have Captain Sal at third. You're going to have Campy at short. You're going to have Green at second. I mean, on and on, Reggie. I mean, you and Gene Tennis and Joe Rudy, and you know who the starters are. Bullpen barely, you know, you barely don't even have a bullpen. And you got a Hall of Famer in Raleigh. I mean, you guys were stacked. Bob's never had anything like that. No, and
5: really fast forward to Tony La Russa, and I know that you, you talked about the, the teams Tony had and I remember in 86 when Tony joined as the manager he, he signed on as manager I remember sitting in the Fenway Park Boston in a dugout he named Dave Stewart now think about that you take over a club and you have a perennial 20 game winner as your starting pitcher and Dave Stewart was the opening day starter Dave Stewart won 20 games consecutively, consecutively for what four or five years and, and then you got Bob Wilson Storm Davis and uh, Mike Moore, and you got the bullpen, and finish it off with Eckersley. And then, oh, by the way, you got three consecutive rookies of the years in 86, 87, 88. You got most valuable players. You have a a relief pitcher who is so great. He wins a Cy Young and MVP. Bob Melvin's never had that. He's never had that, because each year the turnover is such that I I don't think But it's got to be hard. And and I think that's one of the reasons the A's at the beginning of the season has a difficult time having success simply because there's such a turnover. But in the seventies, first of all, there's no free agency until 76. And then fast forward to Tony's group. Why you're not going to trade any of those guys. Yeah. You traded Conseco when he finally said, he said, why do we have to play in October every year? Why can't we just go home like everybody else? Well, so Sandy traded him to the Texas Rangers. So he got to go home at the end of the regular season. So, you know, you, 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 spout off and that's what's going to happen. But, but by and large, he had the team that he knew that when they went to spring training uh, matter of fact, that probably in both the seventies and the late eighties, it was not a particularly great club to be a spring training invite with a chance to make the club because there's not that many chances to make a club with those teams that were put on the field on a daily basis. So, You know, again, Bob Melvin has not had that, yet he is now the winningest manager in Oakland A's history. I couldn't be happier for him just because, you know. And and by the way, you said something about Dick Williams. Yeah, he fought. He fought for us. He he did behind the scenes. We didn't know it. But until before game three of the Mets World Series, he said, I'm done. I've had it up to here. And we go, what? Couldn't believe it. But see, that, that was what was happening behind the scenes that we did not know but Dick Williams would go to bat for us with Charles O'Finley, Finley. And, and I think that's what made him such a respected manager from our standpoint. And, you know, I don't know that Tony had to deal with that simply because the Haas family pretty much said, Hey, Tony, you it's your club, do whatever you want to do. And, you know, you, you had uh, like Sandy Alderson was an attorney, the Marine became an attorney and then the general manager, president, all those kind of things. But, you know, he started, at the time when Tony was manager. So essentially, they were looking at Tony the as a leader. So basically, whatever Tony said, that was it. But I, I don't know that that has happened so much now uh, with Bob Melvin and the way analytics and the way everything goes on in the front office. That, um, that That's why, again, I just think Bob Melvin is the best I've seen in my career simply because of everything he's had to go through.
1: See, this is why you're the face of the franchise. That whole answer right there explains it. You played with the teams in the seventies. You broadcasted in the eighties, the nineties, the two thousand. You've seen it all. You've seen <laughs> all of this. You're the only guy.
5: Well, Tony, and I get to be on with you every Wednesday, and every day actually. So that 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 just you know completes the circle. So yeah, I'm, I'm very appreciative of that. So, uh, but yeah, it's uh, it's it's been something that. Uh, been able to do very pleased very proud and you know what I, I give my wife Carol a lot of credit because it was back in what 83 84 uh she was the one that said you know because I was out of baseball and, and just kind of wondering what I was going to do and she said something about a speaker's bureau next thing I know I get invited to go to a function with the Haas family and uh, um and, and and speak I actually up in Modesto at a Raindrop golf tournament and next thing I know, I'm, I'm in the Speaker's Bureau. I'm a director of sales, director of PR, started broadcasting in 86. And here we are in 2021. And I, I still am able to do this. And, and luckiest man on the face of the earth. Thank you, Mr. Lou Gehrig.
1: Well Which, me, by the way, is today, today is his day. How about that? Yeah, Lou the Geary's iron day. horse. The fra- Can you imagine yeah. after all these years we're finer we're finally honoring this guy's truly one of the greatest players of all time. And, and just tragic the way he passed.
5: And you know, Tony, you said that and, and I agree, but he was such a humble person by comparison. Glenn and I were talking last night about Babe Ruth. And I said, and then there's Lou Gehrig, just the polar opposite. You know, you see some of the movies where, you know, Babe was doing all of his things and, and all Lou Gehrig did was play first base and, and hit home runs. And uh, so, but but I think that's kind of the, the humble person that he was. And I, I heard a, um, a sound by actually like a, a one minute uh, on on the ALS today. And Cal Ripken Jr. of course uh, became the Iron Man, a record that will stand probably forever. I can never, I can't believe it would ever be broken. Twenty six thirty two. You think about that, Tony? Even oh. think about two thousand one hundred thirty much less 2,632, but, uh, but I, I, that was good. And I'm glad, I'm glad that Lou Gehrig's being honored. And I'm also glad that Steven Piscotty is the first recipient for the athletics to, uh, I actually, to win, uh, or to be able to accept the Lou Gehrig award because of his involvement with his dad, Mike, after the, his mother and, and Mike's, uh, wife, Gretchen passed away a couple of years ago. So, uh, a great success story for the Piscotty family it's unfortunate they lost their mother and wife too soon, but, uh, they've carried forward. And I, I think, you know, Mike Piscotty the other day, uh, came up to the booth while the game was going on and he, uh, you know, last year because of the COVID there was a, um, uh, a virtual, I, I know I was on talking about Catfish Hunter, who also unfortunately, uh, passed away with ALS, uh, hard to believe it's 1999 when he passed away. And here we are in 2021, but, uh, Uh, Mike had some wine made up by one of his vineyards that he's been doing some work with. And it's simply, it has a picture of Lou Gehrig on the label and it simply says Lou. And I was fortunate to get one of those bottles and I don't know that I'll ever open it (laughs) because it would be so special. Uh, But you know, that, that is just the the iron horse, the way he was. And uh, again, so humble in, in everything that he did. And I'm glad they're finally honoring him today.
1: You know, Ray, when you look at at Matt Chapman and you see the 73 strikeouts, you see the 198 batting average, you know, the one at bat last night, you know, versus a lefty, fastballs around 91, 92, three straight fastballs right down the middle. He didn't come close to making contact on, on any of three. It was one, two, three heading back to the dugout. I mean, when you see that, what do you think it is? You know, Connie, I think, I think, and, and I think, I think it was last
5: night, maybe or or Monday, uh, we had a shot in between innings. of um, I think it was on Monday when Zamora came in, and they, you know they have all those charts in the back of the of the dugout, and it says what the pitcher throws, the percentage of it throws, and I said they're looking at Zamora, the left hander coming out of the Mariners bullpen he throws about 35% fastball as the rest sliders. And so, you know, at least you go to the plate, you have an idea. But, Tony, I think there's so much information that is given to these players now that sometimes instead of just going to the plate and saying, I have a clean slate, I don't know, I know what this guy, well, who cares what he throws? I know he throws a fastball, and that's what I'm going to look for, and I'm going to make an adjustment off a fastball. And I think most hitters will do that, and I think successful hitters do that. But if you put so much information in your brain, in your mind, when you go to the plate, how many times have we talked about seeing guys take two-strike fastballs down the middle of the plate and walk back to the dugout? Like, let's so say on a 3-2 on a two or 2-2, two two, taking a fastball, you get two strikes, and you put that backward K. And I'm going, what are you doing? What, what can you be looking for with two strikes that's going to cause you to strike out without swinging the bat? And I think that's because there's so much information given up. You know, I, I, I may have mentioned this before, but it reminds me of a player at the A's had recently that he said, I want to know if the pitcher's is going to throw the curveball 38% of the time on the first pitch. And I always think about it. I said, what are you going to do the other 62 and a half, or 62% when he doesn't throw it? Because, you know, just because the percentage is there doesn't mean he's going to throw it to you. So what are you going to do? Take a fastball down the middle of the plate because you may be thinking it's going to be a curveball and you're going to be waiting for it. See, I, I, just, I just think there's too much information, Tony, and I'll be honest with you. I think when I played and my guys in my era, it was, it was incumbent on me as a catcher to know how the opposing hitters hit. I would watch their feet. I would watch, You know, you watch the feet. He'll tell you what he's going to be looking for. And then I knew the pitcher's strengths. And that's how I will call again. I didn't have anything on my wristband to tell me what to do. How about all this now where they're taking their caps off and looking uh, uh, at laminate a laminated sheet of paper and going one six three or whatever, you know, with, with, with the numbers? And I'm going, what, what is all this? It's called a cross-up is what's going to happen because if you can't walk 60 feet and confirm what signs you're using, it's going to be a cross-up that's going to cost somebody a game when there's a run at third base. So uh, bottom line, Townie, too much information. Our grandson Matthew uh, was in the back of the car, and Carol and I were talking, and he goes, "Hey, Nani, Big Papa, TMI." I'm like, "What? TMI? Too much information?" And, you know, so you know here at the time Matthew was 10. So what does that tell you? You know, you, you just clear your brain of all this stuff, and I think in the case of Matt Chapman, if he just walked to the plate and said throw me that fastball, I'm going to be ready to hit it. I'm not going to be in between a slider, change-up, curveball, and a fastball. I'm going to be dead set on that fastball. You throw me something else, I'm going to be sitting fastball. I'll make an adjustment if I get two strikes. But until then, you throw me that fastball, I'm going to be ready.
1: I love in the broadcast last night where – so the pitcher holds up three different numbers. (laughs) You and Glenn see it completely different, and Glenn was like, you know, if I was pitching to you, this would be a total cross-up. <laughs> exactly.
5: <laughs> it, 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 and you know what? You talk about the pace of the game. Do you know that the length of games are longer with all these changes oh. than before?
1: Yeah, I trust I me. I mean, it's, everybody knows it's me. <laughs> yeah, I
5: know you know, but you know, you just think about a pitcher on the mound looking and getting a sign. Instead, pitcher steps off. He pulls, and, and some of these pants are so tight they can't get the laminated sheet of paper out of the back pocket, and, and some have in their cap. So they step off the rubber. They look, and they look at the catcher. The catcher's looking at his wristband or looking at some laminated. All this is time. All this is pace of game, which you're not getting action. And so all these things they're trying to do to speed up the game and have a better pace for the game, it's counterproductive. And you, you know what? You've heard me say this before, Tony. As a catcher, your job is to watch a runner at second base. And you know what? It, it, I can encourage fans to watch the runner at second base. They may be talking to the second baseman at shortstop. They're looking around to see the outfielder where they are. They're not looking into a catcher to see what sign he's given. Now, if they've taken away the camera and center field because of the Astros fiasco, then there shouldn't be a problem unless the runner at second base is legitimately relaying what the catcher's doing and if that's the case then it's on the catcher to make sure he does not give one sign and, and you know type said all the other day about um chris bassett the pace of game man man fast fast and i look back at his game that he pitched he had two runners at second base all night so yeah he's using one sign that's all and so you shake off you go to another sign. but with the runner at second base you have to use multiple signs because if you go to one sign obviously the runner at second base is going to say, Oh, Oh, here comes the fastball. So, you know, you, you can relay that to a hitter very quickly.
1: Yeah. I, I'm with you. And I know you've talked about it on the broadcast. I'm really curious what, what, what's on these laminated, uh, what what's on the laminated sheets that the catcher has the pitcher has like, like what is it?
5: The, the only thing that I could think of County is that with a, it only happens with a runner at second base and then basically what they're doing is saying okay runner at second base what series of signs are we going to use and that's all it is so it must be on that laminated sheet of paper where it's saying runner at second base and the, the, I, I don't know <laughs> I, I don't know but it's got it's, it's got to be runner at second base and as far as the sequence of signs, because. It's catcher-pitcher. Now, catcher has it on his left wrist where he might, you know, have a, what to call in certain situations. But uh, that's the only thing I can think of. I'm, I'm going to try to reach Scott Emerson and, and find out. But I have a feeling that's exactly what it is because I know the manager doesn't call pitches or the bench coach doesn't. Any any signs he's given, it's with a runner on base and maybe a pitch out because they have all the statistics, who's runs and who doesn't. And, uh, you know, it goes back to Tony – La Russa, 1987 you know he said to Terry Steinbach I'll take the pressure off you of you I'll, I'll make all these calls myself and so everything's copycat in baseball anyway just like the the wristband the quarterback sheet that they were used and all of a sudden uh, David Ross started using the Chicago Cubs and uh, then everybody else started using it I, I don't I don't know it's just uh, but but I think going back to bottom line towning if you have so much information in your mind, you know, you don't know what's going on. And and I think some of the, the guys who are the less intelligent, I don't know how you want to say that without offending somebody, but, but you know, if, if they just say, see ball, hit ball. I, don't tell me what he throws or how many times he throws at this time. Just let me go up and swing the bat. And I think those are the guys that have the success. And uh, I know it happened to me um, uh, my, my first second year, I finally just said, forget it. I, I don't care what he's gonna do. I know he's gonna throw me a fastball and I'm not gonna miss it. And I didn't.
1: <laughs> well yeah, yeah, that remember I remember talking to Coco about it and Coco was a guy that just wanted to do sea ball hit ball. We talked to Matt Olson before the start of the season. Matt Olson believes spending so much time worrying about video which is kind of understandable Ray when you're locked in your room in a hotel and you're on a trip and you had nothing to do but I mean yeah Matt Olson who's off to another fantastic season you know said that he got too locked into video and and like at some point you know you just got to go up there and do your thing and it's great to see him I mean 264 is not the best but If you're hitting 264 with a 914 OPS and you got 14 home runs, I'll take that any day of the week.
5: You know, and he's such a smart hitter too, Townie. Opposite field. You know, they shift him, and he got one over the shift last night. But uh, he he goes oppo. I think he did it last night with the home run. Um, Going to the opposite field. So, I mean, you know, he's a smart hitter, but it's more of maybe having an idea like the Zamora kid throwing a lot of breaking pitches. Lefty on lefty, so you'd like to know that, but uh, but in most cases, it's a matter of seeing the ball. And, and you know, if they're shifting you, I don't believe a lot of guys can pitch into the shift. But if they're shifting, let's say Matt Olson, they're going to throw him pitches that they figure he's going to pull. And otherwise, he stays inside the ball and the fastball so well that he'll shoot at the left field with nobody on the left side except the shortstop, the third baseman, and with nobody at second, that third baseman's almost at second with the whole left side of the infield open. So, you know, with the shifts and all those things that have happened, I think bottom line is that uh, smart hitters are going to take advantage of that, and I think Matt Olson is in that category. And, yeah, you're right. Uh, You you take a 250 batting average with 30, 35 home runs and 100 ribbies. You know, you take that in a heartbeat because he's producing at the right time. He's producing with runners on base.
1: Well, have a great call tonight, Ray, and I'll talk to you in uh, A's – Total access. County. you're the best. Congratulations, you and Cody, on uh, the $3 million.
5: I can't wait for the 6 million, $6 million man. We know who you guys are, that. But, uh, no, congratulations. That's outstanding. Very happy for you.
1: What do you think happens first? Bob Melvin catches Connie Mack, or we get to $6 million downloads?
5: Uh, you're going to get to $6 million, a heck of a lot sooner. Than <laughs> <laughs> uh, what did you figure, 30 years that he'd have to manage?
1: And I don't
5: think, I don't think so.
1: The deficit is 2,783. Yeah.
5: That, that's like Cal Ripken Jr. Playing every game, 2,632. So yeah. And he didn't win every game either. The, uh, the Orioles didn't win every game, but he played every game. So yeah. no, I, I think you, you have a much op- a much better opportunity because, you know, A's cast, A's cast live. is it, such a great, great program for people because it is 24, seven. You can hear interviews. And, you know, I, I, I was listening to the Burt Blylovin interview that I did with him. And he, when he said, the best part about this was Chris, Chris didn't talk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. that, that was a great finale. And I, I can't wait to get to Anaheim to go into Mrs. Autry's suite to look for that picture he talked about that uh, just happened to be a moon over uh, whatever, <laughs> over Gene Autry. So. But, no, it's nice to hear those interviews, and you you have a lot of nice interviews on the Ace cast, Ace cast live, and I know Cody does a tremendous job putting everything together. You do the interviews. You're very well prepared. So congratulations to both of you, and I think this is just the beginning of many, many millions.
1: Talk to you in a few. Okay, buddy. Melissa, welcome back to Ace cast live. Thanks so much for having me. What would you think last night when Bob Melvin got the record?
6: Uh, That was pretty cool. I think he's as deserving as anybody for a record like that. I think he's meant as much uh, to the Oakland A's as anybody they've had in the last, probably, since they came to Oakland. So uh, I think it's only fitting that he gets to be, you know, the guy in the Oakland era in terms of wins as a manager.
1: You know, I think about you following these players throughout their careers from the minor leagues all the way up to the big leagues. And... Uh, Matt Chapman right now, 73 strikeouts on the season. He is just being challenged with fastballs and some not the best fastballs in the world. And he can't make contact and his batting average has dropped to one ninety eight. What are you seeing?
6: You know, it looks like a timing issue and, um, it, it, maybe it could be, you know, the fact that he had that surgery last year. I think. Uh, I remember, you know, Buster Posey's timing was kind of off um, quite a bit the year after he had that same surgery. And so much of what Matt Chapman's swing does, you know, has to do with his lower half and being able to kind of get himself on time. And if his hips not feeling exactly how he would want it to at this point, or if he's still getting used to how it would feel post surgery, uh, you know, that could really affect his timing. You know, he has always kind of been strikeout prone a little bit. And there were times um, in the minor leagues that he would have these sort of little mini stretches of, of huge strikeouts um, and then he would recover. Uh, and I, I think he's also sort of always been a second half player too. So I, I don't know that I would panic yet, but uh, obviously um, it's got to be frustrating for him right now.
1: You know, doing a minor league report every single day on the broadcast. Uh, it was so surprising on Memorial Day. I know I, I know, all the different levels other than AAA are taking the day off. And, of course, AAA played Sacramento on Memorial Day. But I, I, I just thought, wow, minor leagues, you're not going to play on Memorial Day? even. I mean, I, I just don't get it.
6: You know, the way they've got it structured this year, teams are, you know, they, they move on to the next series. So uh, there really wouldn't be a way for them to uh, kind of, throw a Monday game in there uh, at that point. I mean, they sort of built it into the schedule. I think part of it may be for the you know COVID protocols and it allows for a little bit less um, disorganized travel as you sometimes get in the minor leagues. But I do have to say, I've talked to a number of people and um, the idea of having a particular day off once a week for the players and the coaches and even the guys that have to arrange all the travel uh, has made a huge difference. Um, and I think it is something... That that they will keep, and it's something that actually has existed in the minor leagues before. I think the Cal League back in the '80s um, had a Monday off every uh, every week, and um, so that sort of sense of you know off days coming, I think, is really rewarding for these players. Um, it's also been really interesting to see just teams match up for six straight days. You know that that's a very different feel. Gives it sort of like a, a World Series kind of feel in terms of by the time you get to that fourth or fifth game, everybody on each team knows the other guy really well. So a lot of really kind of quirky, interesting stuff happening in the minor leagues this year.
1: I got to think knowing that, that, you know, cause right now we're in the midst of this will be our 39th game in 41 days. Right. We haven't had a right. lot of days off, but I think like every Monday, you know, cause there's things you got to do in life, right. You might have to go to like, I had to, I had to go to the DMV, you know, there's certain things you get bills. You got to take care of, it kind of gives you a little bit more structure, wouldn't you say, in, in a season that normally has zero structure?
6: Absolutely. And, and it also just gives your body a sense of, you know, there's a break coming. I think it's kind of like, you know, you, you think about like a workout. And if you know that there's going to be a little bit of a break after 20 minutes, um, your body can kind of push through that. 15 to 20 minute range of the workout, you know. Um, So, or at least for me, anyway. But um, you know, I think I think it really does help mentally these guys get through, which is a really tough grind. I mean, the minor league season, as much as a grind as the major league season is, the minor league season is even more so just because obviously the accommodations and the hotels and everything else that that they're staying at, or even when they're staying at home are not nearly the same as what you get at the major leagues. So given these guys as much of a break as they can, I think it's really been helpful. Luis Pereira
1: came up real quick, got to see him, obviously very athletic, Uh, really didn't get to see much of him offensively. Uh, I know he's swinging it down in Vegas. He's a high contact guy. Just what you've seen as he has grown, what kind of player is he and who would you compare him to?
6: You know, he's a really – he's kind of a throwback. He reminds me of some of those guys that you maybe would have seen in um, like the St. Louis Cardinals back in the turf days. Um, Line drive hitter, really handles the bat well. He can lay down a really nice bunt. He does have some power, but he's not looking to necessarily drive it over the fence um, every swing, unlike you know the majority of hitters that are out there now. Uh, He can use the whole field. Um, defensively, his arm is one of the strongest of any of the outfielders they have in their system. So he's a real weapon that way, kind of, you know, the way that Laureano was able to sort of sneak up on runners. I think when, when Louise has a chance to be playing every day, there's going to be a period where runners think they can take an extra base on him, and he's going to nail quite a few of them before they figure it out. So, uh, and I think, you know, number 2019, he was definitely their fastest first to third runner. Um, and you know, that doesn't actually show up on, on. Stat sheets or box scores, but you've got a guy that is just a really excellent base runner, which I think is something that you know the A's haven't always had, but I think he could add at some point.
1: Do you think he's here long term, or is he potential trade bait coming up here to bring some more pitching to this team in 2021?
6: Well, you know, having covered this team long enough, I'd say everybody is potential trade bait, so I, I would never <laughs> say that somebody isn't. And um, and certainly if they're going to trade uh, people, I think. Their outfield depth, especially in the upper levels, is pretty deep. I mean, obviously, Sky Bolt's up there right now. Uh, Greg, uh, Diekman, Greg Dykman, sorry, is, is having a really nice season there, um, and I think is really turning into this sort of middle-of-the-order um, force that they really thought he, he could be when he was coming out of LSU. Um, and, you know, then you go down a little bit further, they've got guys like Brian Welvis and others that I, you know are going to be projected as really good players moving forward. So, um, you know, I think outfield is an area of depth, and, and certainly if you're going to deal from depth, uh, you know, Barrera might be a guy that teams are going to be interested in, but I don't think they'd be looking to deal him unless they were going to get back pr- probably somebody that they would use for more than just one season.
1: Wellvis has been showing up in my minor league report a lot.
6: Yeah, he's a, he's, I mean, when you talk to people at the uh, alternate site last year, I mean, besides Tyler Soderstrom, I mean, he was the guy that they were really excited about on the younger end of the guys that were there. I mean, 18 years old, playing low A, um, very mature for that age, uh, still not physically as strong as I think he will be eventually, but, you know, the potential to be kind of a real, uh, I don't know if he'll have like the huge power, but sort of touch all five tools. Um and uh, just a very exciting talent. And, you know, he's, he's hanging in there as a very young player. Um, and now he's playing in this Olympic qualifying tournament as well, along with uh, Jordan Diaz on that Team Columbia. So a couple of really good young players from Colombia that the have in their system now.
1: So how many, because I know Nick Allen, how many guys are in the A's system that are, are trying to qualify for the Olympics?
6: Well, there's uh, Nick Allen with Team USA. There's Carlos Perez, the catcher, who's with Team Venezuela. And then the two with uh, Team Columbia, I, I, believe that, I believe that's it right now. But um, that's a, a pretty good chunk, actually, when you consider that you only have the four levels right now.
1: Well, I mean, what an experience that would be, too. I mean, and Tokyo, as we know, uh, having gone there a few times, is, is phenomenal. But I, the athletes probably won't be able to get in, to see anything. They'll all be in a bubble. But still, to represent your country, what an experience. And and, and let's end on this, on Tyler Solderstrom. I mean – This kid, you know, I I, I played against his dad at Fresno State. Obviously, his dad was the number one pick by the Giants out of Fresno. And he he has the baseball school down there. So this kid's light years ahead of his age. And he's already gotten out to a good start. You know, I got to think, you know, if he continues to hit and they talk about how strong he is as a catcher at calling games, you could move them out behind the plate and have him play somewhere else. Do you think he's a fast track kid?
6: Yeah. I mean, I think it really depends on what they want in terms of where he'll play defensively. I think his bat will move quickly. Uh, if that's what they think they need to rush up to the big leagues. But I was actually talking to somebody today that said that he's really made some uh, significant strides defensively. You know, his glove was well behind his bat Um coming into pro ball, but even just in the last week or two has really improved his uh, defensive skills, his game calling, his, his, uh, throwing and, and mechanics and stuff. And they're working a lot with him, um, on improving behind the plate. So I don't think it's something they're necessarily looking to have him move off of quickly. Um, and you know, I mean, he's athletic, he's played third base, he's played first base. Um, in, in high school, I'm sure he could play left or right field if they needed him to. So I feel like it'd be fairly easy to move him off of that if they suddenly needed his back quicker than his glove was going to develop behind the plate. But I think at the moment, they're, they're really looking to develop him as a catcher.
1: Well, you know we love the athletic, and it's just great journalism. Uh, but i got to ask you this on the way out. Are we going to have a, a a certification on what the ball actually is? It seems like one <laughs> the ball is different the next minute the ball's the same when when, when are we going to know exactly what kind of ball we're playing with
6: yeah I think I think Rob Manfred's probably the better person to ask that question but it is crazy and I I think it's it's really hard I mean uh, you know you look at like David Forrest I mean how do you build a team not knowing how the ball's going to play and you know or from a pitcher's perspective if pitchers are going to be using illegal substances, how do you build a, you know, a lineup not knowing what the kind of spin rates you're going to see from pitchers that you kind of expected a different spin rate from? So um, I think it's made it harder for uh, front offices. And I imagine if it's making it harder for front offices, eventually Major League Baseball will have to do something about both of those things to sort of stabilize what we're seeing out there because you can't have this variation every year or, you know, how does anybody ever build a team? So um, a lot of stuff I think has got to happen. And uh, if I could fix it or if, if, you know, Saris or somebody from the athletic could fix it, I think we would in a second, but uh, we'll keep uh, chipping at the information as we get it.
1: Thank you so much. I always appreciate it. We'll be reading you on the athletic.
6: Thank you so much, Chris. I appreciate it.
1: It's always great to have you on the program. Big fan, of course. I have XM, got you in on my car every single day. And I think really the job that you guys do uh, is second to none because th- there's no place like you giving the information that you guys are giving on a daily basis.
7: Yeah, I, you know, I, honestly, I feel like we're all in therapy after going through the amount of months we spent talking about no actual games a year ago. So it's, it's fantastic to have baseball to react to. Uh, We wish more players weren't hurt, uh, but in some cases uh, I use the tennis term, unforced errors by the league and the players bartering over uh, nonsense and not having a universal DH that now a guy like a Jack Flaherty, for example, is uh, down for the count for a while.
1: Isn't it ridiculous when you look at the numbers like the, I was reading, it was just a couple of weeks ago that the, the average for pitchers, was 100, and they were basically striking out 50% of the time. And it's like, what are we doing here in 2021?
7: Well, we're putting position of uh, pitchers being injured for no reason, which is it's interesting because if you look about kind of the contradiction of it all, remember when Posey and Cousins collided, we had to run, and then make sure collisions were gone, and then at second base, nope, no more slides. But we're not going to give you any additional roster spots off a shortened season where by the middle of the season, every pitcher will be way past the innings they pitched all of last year, some for years more than that, and we're going to let pitchers hit. But don't worry about it. Everything will be fine. I mean, it it doesn't make any sense. So, you know, to me, I think at the end of the day, it's on everybody at the upper level of the league for not stepping in and getting both sides to agree. And I know, obviously, Rob Manfred and we talked about this commissioner – specifically a guy who used to argue on behalf of the owners. We know that it's more of a two-on-one match than somebody even, but whether it's the league or it's the players' union or you think of the owners, for nobody does it make sense to have players getting hurt. And with no minor league season last year, you're now dipping down to get guys who aren't anywhere close to ready to the big leagues and have to throw them out there, and we're going to get a lot of that in the second half of the year.
1: Well, yeah, I remember last year with the Astros, talking to our buddy Jeff Blum, who does TV for him, yeah, like I'm like you. I mean, they, they, they got guys coming up who were an A ball last year. Like, yeah, they're looking into the media guy, going, "Who are these guys?" And, and that's what, you know, look, I, I, God bless him. I love
7: Tori Lavello, and his Diamondbacks have a ton of injuries. And I'm telling you, he is literally. I wonder if it's like the old like uh, love connection, or your next uh, third baseman loves long walks on the beach and volleyball and swimming and his free because they have no idea who these people are. Half of them that they're that they're going and getting. And that's why, you know, look, all of it combined, when you look at it, coming off of how statistically oriented we've been now over the years, and everything's about trends, right? That's how we learn. How did we not know there's no data off a 60 game year? There's no data off how do you ramp up innings from X to Y when this was the calendar this past year and it's never been that way? How did they not understand that regardless of what you're gonna argue over the CBA? in nine months. I mean, the way I put it was back in, it is good to date myself, but back when you and I were kids, when you sit there and you think about like the, the, the Royal Rumble and there's like, you know, the, the big Andre, the giant is there. No one can knock him out by himself. Let's (laughs) both knock him over and then we'll fight it out. you got to knock over all these problems and then duke it out at the CBA after the season. You can't be sitting there worrying about leverage before the year, because Not expanding the roster size is the craziest thing ever, considering how many injuries we're now seeing. It is literally double what we saw at this time last year. And I'll give you one stat. At no point, not one day last season, did we ever have a situation or in the last full season, the year before, as many injuries right now as we have currently today in this sport.
1: Well, you've sparked something here because when I look back, Whether it was Big John Stud or it was Andre the Giant, King Kong Bundy, whenever these guys would team up to try and get them out of the out of the ring, that was weak sauce.
7: Well, yeah, but but at the same time, you also didn't want, you know, it was too easy when the biggest guy in there, it's like the ring. Anybody's been to one of those events, it's like four feet long. (laughs) Nobody's getting them out anyway. But unfortunately just to kind of tie it all together right now, the Andre, the giant, the elephant in the room is that the league didn't step in. There's this whole idea of, we always hear about this best interest of baseball clause, right? And, and just, it's like, you know, we, the whole monitor, like, I'm going to, you know, give you a, you know, a citation. If you don't you have a pass in the bathroom, they always hold it up like, you know, here's where we're going to use it. How does the league not jump in and say, Hey, look, I'm going to take it away from both of you and say that we're not going to go ahead and have pitchers hit who didn't even hit a year ago when we know in the CBA it's not staying anyway. We're not going to keep the roster size. We're going to expand the playoffs because this is in the best interest of the sport and our players. The fact that nobody got involved to say anything. Think about September when you've got playoff races, fans hopefully knock on wood, full throttle, and all the tickets they want to sell, and you've got people playing that no one's ever heard of. I mean, it's crazy. It's going to happen.
1: Were you guys able to address Bob Melvin breaking the record for most wins as an Oakland A manager and passing the Hall of Famer, Tony La Russa?
7: You know, well, you said Tony La Russa and we addressed plenty of that. <laughs> but that's a different story. There will be consequences within the family. Don't worry. Um, oh God. Look, I always, I, always, I always say this, and I mean it in, in the most complimentary way. Bo Melling is like a thing for me because when you talk about if as an organization, the Rays, right, and look what they're doing, sixteen out of eighteen. If they are even more than and look, I'm not taking away from Billy or this organization, David Force, anybody, but the Rays are at the hey, we maximize like everything. We are gonna find a way to squeeze the most out of the orange. There's no manager in this sport in this generation or the one prior that has done that to this level. Because Joe Madden had some of that in Tampa, but certainly not that problem with the Cubs. What Bob Melvin has been able to do, regardless of the changes of players, and in the room specifically this year, the loss that you and I both know Marcus was, Marcus Simeon, not being in there, the Chapman injury a year ago, they went a division first time in 14 years, his even keel nature and his balance, which is who he is, is to me still... Showing everyone what you need in a manager if you really want a long season like baseball to succeed. Because I think it's a big reason that he's as good as he is. Highs and lows, he's the same guy. Every interview, every conversation, every meeting with a player, they don't get down on themselves because he doesn't push them down there. And it allows them in a long year to avoid those lulls that keep teams out of a playoff.
1: Remember when they used to say that Tampa was the little brother to the New York Yankees? I think that yes. I, I think that narrative is so tired. Tampa's been whooping these guys now for a long time. It really, you know, if you talk about a rivalry, I mean, Tampa's owned them.
7: Oh, it, it's first of all, yes, absolutely, and you can go back to the fact that last year not only did they beat them during the year, then take the division, but then Brasso gets back at Chapman right and hits the home run to knock yep. them out. I go back to, and, and this is, and I chatted with Austin Meadows of the Rays about this actually today, but they do not, and I, I hate to say this because the twins, I don't want to knock somebody when they're down when I just talked about not doing that, but let's do it. Uh, the twins, right, who haven't won a playoff series since I think King Kong Bundy was wrestling and Mean Gene was there, May rest. <laughs> they, and teams that have played the Yankees, think about the old yesteryear, the Texas Rangers, right, with, hey, Rick Helling's good. No, he's not. Uh, and then Seattle. No, Aaron Sealy. No, he's not. And then it's the Twins. And how many teams and organizations have fumbled and put the Yankees in a spot? Knew they intimidated them, and you were lost before you got there. Tampa doesn't have the talent. Most of those teams I just discussed did. The Mariners broke the record for most wins, and then got sent home in a series by the Yankees because they could never beat them. The the Rays mentality is just the perfect mentality of they don't care. Look, they play in a park where you could hear the guy who makes the cowbell because he's your friend and he's one of seven family members of the 12 people in the room. I mean, there's nobody there. They don't have it. It doesn't matter how many people are in the Coliseum. In Oakland, they go nuts. In Tampa Bay, you you could scream across to your cousin, right, on the other side of the field. There's nothing that's going to affect them. That's why the COVID season, it was like, okay, let's just play. Nobody has fans. Neither do we. But I think that they have taught that to the Yankees and because of it, what are they going to be afraid of the Yankees for? You just took Blake Snell from us after you took him out of the game for some ungodly reason. When Mookie Betts couldn't make contact against them, you think we're going to worry about winning in Yankee stadium. And that's why even if you go back a month ago, the Yankees were on the verge of sweeping the Rays for the first time in years. would have been a big series and they got crushed in the last game of that series because Even when Tampa gets punched by the Yankees in a big spot, gives up some home runs, they they are like, you know, the great closers who have no memory. That's the way Tampa is. They're not going to be affected by it. And I think Kevin Cash is a big part of that. Remember, this is a guy who was a prime disciple. The day he interviewed for this job, he had a phone call beforehand getting further tutelage from his mentor, Terry Francona, a guy who, oh, by the way, came back from down 3-0 in a postseason against the Yankees.
1: All right, more surprised. San Francisco Giants leading the West or well, Cubs leading the Central?
7: Yeah, I mean, look, the Cubs, you had me. At, like, trying to figure out the Cubs is trying to figure out, like, the movie 12 Monkeys. Like, I, I really have no idea what's happening, but I'm watching it. So, I, I can't – really, nothing surprises me with them. We knew that division was weak. I think it's got to be the Giants because this was the year – you know, look, that ownership, and they're always – willing to go get a you know, quotient of stars there, they almost gave Farhan Zaidi a heart attack when they told him, hey, we want to try and get Bryce Harper, when Farhan came in to get rid of all that money. Now, it didn't work, thankfully, for Farhan, but think about what he's done, turning that thing over. This was their last year of like, hey, we're almost there. It's like they were running a marathon. It's like we're one mile. We're almost going to make it to the finish line and, and finally eat food for the first time in a month. They are getting rid of the Crawford contract Bell, Look, these are great players for them, but we know not anymore. Longoria and that contract, all this, they're not supposed to be in this spot, but they made really smart moves. And to me, they made a lot of small market teams make really just look stupid because Alex Wood, who is the guy who, by the way, pitched well in that World Series game where Snell was taken out. $3 million for a year in the division where he's won 15 games before and performed well, those kind of moves they made have helped them do this. Ustremski hasn't hit the ball that well. I mean, Buster Posey to me is the biggest surprise, obviously of the giants that he's been, which is great to see that he's been, you know, a, a high level hitter again for a lot of this year. But I think, you know, you've got to give Dave Kapler a lot of credit and you got to give Farhan Zaidi a lot of credit. This guy knows what he's doing. And they are going to have a lot of money to spend this coming offseason and be a major factor in the shortstop market. And I keep putting out there, you know, I live in Atlanta now. Freddie Freeman's still a free agent. The Braves, everything with them is the best. And he's a California kid. And I don't think the Angels can afford more money, even though he's from Orange County, on non-pitchers. Freddie Freeman at first base for the Giants next year and a long-term deal looks pretty good to me.
1: And think about another West Coast guy who's just killing it for the Cubs is Chris Bryant, and the talk, has, right. been, the talk has been they're going to move him. How about Javi Baez? I mean, if you're in first place, you can't move these guys. It's like, w- what is the direction of the Cubs? Because it's almost they're shocking themselves by winning.
7: I, I, I use it this way. It, every team has a GPS where if they're good, even the Orioles, right? Like, you know – Where they're supposed to—that doesn't mean they're going to get there—but they have a direction on how to get there. When you put the GPS in for the Cubs, the AOL dial-up sound gets made, like when you were going into the romance chat room in 1990. I mean, literally, they don't even know where they're going. They got rid of the Darvish money, and then didn't go further because they didn't get a lot of value for Chris Bryant. But you're not going to get value for him as a rental Machado. Nothing. I mean, rentals don't get you any money. They don't get you any value in players. And really, if anything, you're just saving cash. So I, I don't know what they're doing. They have not made a significant offer that, that Rizzo has liked. And even last time, seemingly, he had come out and acted like he was lowballed to a great extent. Baez, I don't understand why, if he's their guy that they've chosen, which a lot of people have thought, why isn't he signed? I don't think they feel that way now. And when Lindor gets paid like Pat you know, I don't think Baez is going to get paid as much, but I'm certain that he's not got a 10-year offer from the Cubs for $300 million right now. He would have taken it. So I don't know what they're doing. I'm with you. And I think the sad part is for the Cubs fan, clearly Theo left because the organization had changed their mind and decided to go the other way. But they didn't go far enough. You're never going to get players to not try they put a pitching staff out in a league where you can't get anyone to make contact and their staff only gives up contact. No one misses, but their lineup, they didn't destroy enough. I hate saying it. That's the biggest problem. And they're going to regret that severely. I hate to say they're rooting for losses, but if you remember major league up in that booth where they're rooting for losses, I mean, right now, secretly somewhere there's a curtain shut and the Cubs are rooting for losses and they're not getting any right now.
1: Yeah, and I think about also like Trevor's story now on the IL, but once he comes off, a renter player. I mean, what's Colorado thinking? What are you going to get for him? Uh, who knows? All right, let's end on this favorite wrestler of all time. Oh gosh,
7: oh my! There are so many. Uh, you know what? I, I'll go Shawn Michaels probably overall. I, I was a big Attitude Era guy. It was probably the last time I was. I kind of got back into it. A little bit, I like The Rock and Stone Cold Steve Austin. Back in the day, Hogan and Macho Man. But standing the test of time, and to me, like proving that even though you knew it was scripted, like you could watch a movie, you know there's a script, but say, hey, that's a great actor. Like Joe Michaels, because of the athleticism he had and being able to speak, because as we know they usually get one or the other. I mean, you guys who like, you have to have Bobby the Brain Heenan may wrestle like, come around with them because nobody could talk. He, to me, was the best at both of those of anybody I saw. So I, I, I don't know how old that dates us back. But Shawn Michaels, to me, would probably be the first guy that comes to mind.
1: I will always go down with my man, Randy Macho Man Savage, who beat, Ooh, King, yeah. Haku, who beat uh, King Haku to become the Macho King.
7: And And look, I mean, somewhere right now, Scary Sherry is going through a lot of divorce bills. And, <laughs> you know, if she's listening, we're sorry.
1: Hey, you are the best, man. Inside Pitch is a fabulous show. I I love you on XM. I mean, I'll be honest with you. The reason why I renewed, I mean, also I love the NFL channel and I'll listen to PGA Tour, but uh, I'm locked on you guys every day. Uh, we We have Farron, we have the Duke, we have a lot of the guys from the channel on our station. We always appreciate your guys' time and be well and you know we're listening.
7: I appreciate you, man. Thank you. That means a lot. And uh, best to, and be well. We'll talk soon, okay?
1: Well, it's always an honor to have Chris Rose on the program. How How is life and how is the new podcast?
8: Uh, all is well, Chris. Um, Really enjoying my time with, with John Boy. I mean, obviously, for people that followed what happened at MLB Network, it was sad to leave a place after 10 years. There's no question. We had built something special, I felt like, with intentional talk. I knew I still wanted to be in baseball somehow uh i've known jimmy and jake from john boy media for a few years we started talking they gauged my interest and i was like heck yeah i mean i'm a big believer in what they do uh, because it's similar to what you know what our philosophy was at intentional talk which is don't take yourselves too seriously help grow the game show people there's another side of baseball and have a lot of fun while you're doing what you love And so they've kind of given me free reign with this podcast. And I thought it was really important for it not to just be a singular voice. And I want people to know that there are good, entertaining, fun people who love the sport. And so that's why I have a a rotating cast of a half dozen active players. And it's been really, really more more than I could have imagined uh, in terms of what these guys are bringing, their interests and how much they want to help the game.
1: Yeah, and it's just what, what what we're starting to understand is that you know, people want to they want to consume when they want to consume it. So the fact yeah. that it's a podcast and it's there, I mean, for us with Acecast, we just went over 3 million downloads the other day. So That's great. and we started in 2019 and it's just it just goes to show like for my post game show, it gets a ton of downloads, but not everybody can stay up late uh, and, and to listen to the post game show. So they rather download it, listen to it the next day. I, I think that's the entertainment w- we are passing on to the fans. It's 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 the exact way they want to consume it.
8: Absolutely, and you know I think that obviously the pandemic hit the industry a little bit, and from the standpoint of people weren't commuting, right. I mean, people were staying at home. Um, So I think as things kind of hopefully get back to some sort of new normal and people are, whether in their cars or on trains or what have you, they'll even have more and more access to that sort of stuff. Um, But yeah, it's important to be there when your viewers and when your listeners have time for you. It's, It's not great when we say, hey, you have to see us at 5 o'clock or you're going to miss the deal. And that's that's not how we go about things, and we just need to be as accessible as possible.
1: So Castellanos was on your podcast yesterday saying the league doesn't care about the substances with uh, on the ball for the pitchers?
8: Well, yeah. I mean, we had actually taped it on Tuesday, and it dropped yesterday, and a few hours later, <laughs> you know, there are reports that things are starting to move. But who could argue with his point? You know, I mean, the athletic article came out over a week ago, and you didn't hear boo from Major League Baseball about it. And yes, they did say during spring training they were going to be confiscating baseballs to collect data. That's fine. But when guys start putting their names on quotes, that it's not just sources say, but rather one of the best catchers in baseball and JT Real Muto equating the problem to steroids, whether you believe him or not, or follow his logic or not. The point is, is that people are talking about it. The guys I'm texting with around Major League Baseball, every hitter thinks it's a joke. It's like they're saying that baseball just doesn't care what guys are doing to the baseball. And it's, they're basically the pitchers are laughing at him. So we've had a lot of interesting discussions on, the, uh, discussions on the Chris Rose rotation. I had a fascinating one with, Stephen Brault to the Pirates and Trevor Williams of the Cubs, both major league pitchers. And they were very honest about it. So go to our JM Media Baseball YouTube channel. You can find it. It's a 10-minute discussion. Trevor actually walks you through how pitchers put stuff on the baseball and what you should be looking for as a baseball fan. And then you can decide whether or not you give a crap or not.
1: You know, I, I I think about it, and I'm like, okay, if it's a sunny day, and I'm and I'm doing the I'm doing sunscreen. What's the league gonna do? You're gonna say I'm trying to prevent skin cancer. That's why I ha- that's why I have sunscreen on. Like, what
8: are they no really question. gonna do? So, you know, I, I think that they could come out and say, because if you talk to most hitters, most hitters don't care about the combination of sunscreen and rosin, which does give you tact. So there is something that is being done with the baseball at that point, but hitters will tell you and pitchers will tell you that it doesn't affect the spin of the baseball. So if we can all come to an agreement that a guy's got rosin and sunscreen as a mixture, then it won't be a big deal. Now, I don't know exactly how you police that, but there are experts who should be able to tell the difference between a baseball that might have a rosin slash sunscreen spot on it, which I don't even know if you can see that or this cement mix that people have been using that essentially is like glue. So there you go.
1: Yeah, we actually looked it up. It's called spider tack. And it's, it's people who lay stones at like people's houses and businesses it, it, it's, it's, it's easier to move. And I, I mean, I don't, I've never laid stone before, but it, it's for stone workers. So we looked it up, Chris, on Amazon. Think about this, this product, which is causing baseball to go crazy is like 1399. And if you're an Amazon prime member, you can have it by tomorrow.
8: Yeah. I'll order it right up. I am. Yeah. <laughs> um. <laughs> I will not be laying stone and I will not be throwing a, uh, a slider with 3000 RPMs anytime soon. In fact, I have a better chance of laying stone and people that know me know I've got no chance in hell of doing that. Um, I'm just not talented enough. So yes, I mean, we know that things are accessible. it's the question is like, if you're a parent, do you always turn the other way when your kid does something wrong and you know they're doing it and they're going to keep doing it and it's going to affect the other kids in the household? Like the other kids in the household are going to be like, but oh, wait a second, you're, you're letting little Jimmy get away with that. That's a problem. And if you don't listen to the other kid in the household, then it's going to be a major problem. So, you know, I'll, I'll be very curious to see how baseball decides to discipline people if it actually moves forward?
1: Yeah, I, I'm still just shocked that w- we have a game here where the equipment is not regulated. Like we have no idea are we using a juice ball, or are we using a non juice ball. They're now they're now putting this lacquer on the bats to make them harder. I mean, we don't know. I mean, the equipment's all over the place. We're talking about pitchers putting stuff on the ball. Hitters got arm guards, shin guards. You know, I wish they would just regulate the equipment and take everything away from everybody. You know, if if a pitcher can't get an advantage, the hitter can't. Like our own Mark Canna gets hit so much, but he stands right on top of the plate, and he's got this big elbow guard that gets hit all the time. Take all of it away, and that's only the real way to do it, but I don't think that will ever happen.
8: Well, except that the rest of the guys could hit with arm guards too. I mean, they're making a choice not to. It's just, I don't know. I would rather see Mark Canna up there with a with an elbow guard than not have one because if he ends up getting a hit and he gets dotted in the elbow and he's out a week, that doesn't help anybody. I mean, it's I, not illegal to stand on top of the plate.
1: I get that. I mean, it's just like, it, it, but every single time we see the pitchers getting some type of advantage, everybody flips out. To where hitters get to use pine tar, hitters get to use all this stuff. I mean, I mean, and, and then all of a sudden, you use a little bit of pine tar on the ball, and they throw you out of the game. Yeah, right? but uh, all right, hold on, Chris. I'm gonna, I have to
8: disagree with you. Okay. Uh, with all due, with all due respect, um, yes, pine tar when guys swing a bat could end up on the baseball, but it doesn't change like a pitcher loading up the baseball changes how it moves right? No, I I think we can all agree with that. I had some guy saying, okay, so you're, you want to strip the the pictures of using pine tar or, you know, this spider, whatever stuff and all that sort of stuff, but you don't want to take away batting gloves and pine tar and all that stuff from hitters. I'm like, but the, the two aren't the same. You're talking about putting a substance on the object as opposed to holding on to a bat more securely. Like, I don't understand.
1: I, and you know what? I've had this debate with multiple people and people are kind of a, it's kind of a, it's kind of different across the board. Some people feel like you do. I really don't care. I think I should be able to, I'm a former pitcher. So I have uh-huh. no problem with using a little copper tone to help me out with my grip. Cause let's face it too. If you're talking about the the security of the bat with the grip, I think for a hitter, the hitter wants me to have more grip on the baseball, so I'll have more yeah. control and won't be hit. Right.
8: Yeah, right, but we all know that there's a difference between getting a grip and changing the spin rate of a baseball. We we all know that there is – and people who are experts in the field know that there's a line. And I think that – I my guess is that baseball fans are like, all right, enough with this stuff. Just tell me, like, let's move forward. You know, because to me, I actually think the, the talent level of the game is, un, is, is really unprecedented. But like the number of guys that are great athletes and baseball players that are 25 and younger, I've never, I can't remember a group like this. I would say let's let their athleticism and their ability shine the most. And how do we do that? We get a handle on loading up the baseball. We get rid of the shift, in my opinion. I would hope that people will stop just, you know, teaching one approach at the plate, which is see ball, hit it over the fence. And if you don't, we'll live with whatever whatever else happens. I want to see more running in the game. I want to see more defensive plays on relays and things of that nature. I think we have the ability to do it. And I think a guy like Theo Epstein is going to be the right guy to implement whatever changes we have in the near future.
1: Or or we get you a new gig and you become commissioner and make all no, this happen. Stop.
8: Uh-uh. I'm out. I'm out. They don't want that. <laughs> Believe me, they don't want that.
1: Yeah, I think, you're, I think you're dead on. I think we have so many, you know, forget power hitters. We have so many great athletes. And I say this all the time on my show is when you put the ball in play, is when we get to see the great athleticism of the outfielders, of the infielders. One of the most beautiful things is a bang-bang double play to watch these guys, their craft, how good they are. And like you said, first to third, first to home, putting the ball in play more just shows what kind of great athletes. And as you basically just said, this might be the most athletic group we've, we've ever seen in Major League Baseball. Kind of takes you back a little bit to the 80s.
8: Absolutely. I mean, I, listen, I'm not, I, I don't think we need to change everything. I, I'm not, I'm not there, but I really think like some people are like, well, why would you get rid of the shift? Well, listen, if you want to play your second baseman in short right field, that's your call, but you can't bring it then your third baseman to the right side of second base. And people will say, well, why don't the hitters just learn to hit it the other way? Well, you're taking a Yes. But you're taking away their ability to put some power on the baseball and pull it also. And I want to see that. You know, I like I said, I want to see more doubles, more triples, more hit and run, more just more action. Like I'm not the guy that wants to see each team strike out twelve times per game, and we can have four home runs in a game.
1: Like personally, that's just not it for me. You know what that's called? Oakland A's baseball. <laughs> that's what we do. It's every night. It's 13 punch outs. It's 11. It's three home runs. I know. Like, oh, God. But
8: hey. you're not alone. You're, you're not alone. And I'm just saying that I I, I don't want to sit here and say, oh, my God, I hate the way baseball is played now. Because I think that's, that's ridiculous. I'm just saying that I think a few simple changes
1: help bring out the athleticism in this. Hey, great stuff as always. We appreciate it. Continued success with your podcast. It's fabulous, and it's just going to grow and grow.
8: I appreciate that, Chris. It's really been a fun, fun time, and I think the thing it allows most is the guys to just hang out, and there's not a lot of places where you get active player talking with active player. Like my co-host the day of Castellanos was Miguel Rojas. Those guys aren't, like, close friends. They just know each other from competing on the field and they would sit there and talk back and forth about whether it was hitting or the pitching stuff. We just talked about Castellanos and the incidents that he had with the Cardinals or whatever. And Miggy would chime in and it was just fun for me to listen to. So that's what makes it a little bit different. I hope people are enjoying it.
1: Yeah. It's a brilliant idea and we'll, we'll continue to promote it.
8: I appreciate that, Chris. Thank you very much.
1: Take care, Chris. Be well. Be safe with the family.
8: You as well, buddy.
1: Ryan Spielborgs of the Colorado Rockies and Sirius XM. Great to have you on the program again. We truly appreciate it.
9: I love being on your program. Uh, I'm a big fan of the A's, so I'm actually looking forward to seeing them match up against the Rock.
1: Yeah, it's, you know, it's a, it's a matchup we don't get to see a lot, and I think it's great for our fans to see Coors Field, because Coors Field is one of the most beautiful parks we have in Major League Baseball.
9: There's no question it's one of the nicest ones. I don't know if you can hear the train in the background, but Denver's blown up. Um, you know, this this whole city is, you know, however you look at it for the All-Star Game, it's unfortunate that uh, the All-Star Game is not in Atlanta this year for so many different reasons, but... For us here in Colorado, you know, to showcase just the beauty of the stadium, many people don't realize that this is the third oldest National League stadium. Let's say, can you make a guess on who the two older stadiums are in the National League?
1: Well, it's going to be Dodger Stadium and Wrigley Field. There you go. And the third oldest is
9: Colorado. So, and it, when you see it, it's just beautiful. I mean, we've done, the the organization's done a really good job of maintaining it. So, um, I, I'm excited for tonight's game. I'm excited for open A's fans to watch.
1: Yeah, I got to tell you, I, I used to work for the Raiders, so we came came there every year to take on the Broncos. And I was actually just talking about early in the show about when the weather is great, downtown Denver is a lot of fun. A lot of restaurants, a lot of great bars. Uh, I, I've always been very impressed with Denver. It's a great spot.
9: It is a great
1: spot. And if you drink too many IPAs here, you'll have a massive, massive headache. <laughs> well, talk to us about the Rockies because uh, lately they've been playing good baseball.
9: They have been playing good baseball. Uh, they have not been playing good
1: baseball on the road. So, you know, the,
9: the road record is actually quite historic. It's one of the worst losing percentages in like the history of baseball. Uh, but at home, they're really, you know, they, they, they pitch well, they hit just enough, you know, the Rockies are in a bit of a transition this year. I think it's pretty obvious when they trade Nolan this offseason. Um, you know, there's some guys that are currently on the team that most likely are going to be um, traded at at deadline, whether that's the Trevor Story or Daniel Bart or Michael Givens. But there's, there's some interesting players that the Rockies have. Ryan McMahon has, has really been the biggest bright spot star- Spot on the Rockies team besides the pitching staff but what I always point out especially for Oakland Oakland fans the pitching is much better than the hitting Um, which sounds really strange because we're so accustomed to hearing like like street bombers or that you're just gonna kind of get beat up offensively well not really the the offensive numbers for the Rockies have been down it's been the pitching that's really been holding them above water
1: do you know how odd that sounds I mean when we're I know. Uh, all these years talking about hey they're putting baseballs in humidors and how do you keep everybody from hitting so many home runs and 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 it was always the mantra you can't pitch and be successful in Colorado and here you're saying the pitching's better than the hitting man that just sounds so odd.
9: It sounds really weird and I recognize that um, tonight was it's kind of an interesting matchup because you have John Gray who's pitched really well. I mean he, he has really made course field home for him as a pitcher. And one of the things to note, like Frankie Montas is going for Oakland. Montas kind of has a good sinker. And when I think about, you know, Frankie Montas and how he pitches, and it's going to take about an inning or two for him to adjust his fastball. Uh, he's going to change his sights. He's going to look, uh, you know, whether whether the ball is going to have a little extra carry. So guys with good fastballs at Coors Field are pretty successful, especially if you have, good four-seam light. If you're a sticker baller, you can, you can be successful here, but it takes him an inning or two to adjust to it. So I'll give you an example. Jacob DeGrom came out, and you know DeGrom pitches well at anywhere, but in the game, we were using baseball savant, and we saw that his fastball was getting four extra inches of carry on the fastball because of the altitude. So his slider wasn't as sharp, but the four-seam fastball had four extra inches of, of rise, and as a result, he struck out 14 in six innings. So if if you can harness your fastball or understand how your baseball travels here at Coors Field, a lot of guys like to pitch because they say their 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 baseball flies true. So um, that has certainly been one of the benefits for the Rockies pitching staff is they understand how their pitches work at altitude.
1: How are Rocky fans dealing with you know front office stepping down? Nolan Arenado's gone. I know Trevor Story is on the IL, but it, Everybody has him being traded at the deadline. Just how, how, how are Rockies fans handling it?
9: Not very well. They're not happy about it. I, I don't think it's been handled particularly well. I think there's
3: there's been a lot of
9: animosity towards the front office. There's a lot of animosity towards the ownership um, on how the Nolan trade went down. Uh, they don't like the optics of it. You know, you traded a franchise player. You just signed him to a... long-term extension that was going to make this guy ours forever and then not only do you trade him to the cardinals there's a 50 million dollar you know transfer of money that goes towards the cardinals as well so it's like wait we're paying you know the fans are saying you're paying for nolan to play on on another team and you're giving us some you know prospects he's never heard of and austin gomber you know like that's just how the fans have reacted and Looking at this team, it wasn't the wrong move. Nolan needed to be moved for a couple of reasons. You know, the Rockies aren't in a position to compete with the Dodgers or the Padres right now. And when you have a player like Nolan, who's commanding about 28% of your salary, uh, it just doesn't make sense. So you're you're hopeful that you get some prospects in return. You can kind of reassess and and reestablish yourself to be a viable organization, which they have been and they can be. Uh, But, you know, the fans are never going to look at trading in Nolan and the relationship with Breivich as anything other than a negative kind of stain on the organization.
1: Yeah, it's got to be tough. But I think the good thing for you is it's just not always about the Rockies. I love your show on Sirius XM. We have a lot. We just had your partner on the program. We love Farron, uh, Jim Duquette. Uh, C.J. Nikowski, that's just got to be great for you where you get to talk all baseball.
9: I, I do. I love the perspective. I love knowing the different players in the game. I mean, that, that is the one aspect about this whole COVID stuff. We don't have the same interactions with the players like we used to, uh, but radio kind of let me stay connected with your players. You know, it's, I always enjoy talking to Lou Luch- Trevino. Uh, we've had Matt Chapman on. We've talked to a lot of players in, in the Oakland A's franchise. So, I, you know, as a, like I said, I'm a fan of baseball first. I'll always be a fan of the game. I'll always respect what it means to be a major leaguer. Uh, and I've always been kind of jealous of, of the guys in the white shoes.
1: Yeah. And, and Casey Stern's a good guy. We just had him on. And all you guys have great chemistry together. And what you and CJ do, we love it. And I want to get your perspective on how really is Major League Baseball? going to come down on players whether they're using copper tone or spider tack uh are we really going to start seeing a guy suspended and then well, we're hearing everybody's using it so what are you going to do you're going to suspend everybody in baseball
9: well i think baseball has an opportunity to
1: make a right of a wrong do you remember this offseason? bubba harkins
9: longtime clubhouse attendant with the angels was basically used as a scapegoat for creating this Super sticky tack that a lot of players are using. I think what Major League Baseball should do is go back and and you know just make a version that that everybody feels comfortable with. Where you know like if you're going to use anything, it's going to be this substance that's readily available for you know for for college players and youth amateurs. Because uh, at the end of the day, players want to know that the pitcher has control right. of the strike zone. Baseballs can be slippery, and because every day is, you know, a different element, it's hot, it's 90 degrees today, so expect offense, but a couple days ago it's cold and wet and the baseball field's slick. No player is going to complain if it's universal. If we know that everybody's using it the same, hitters will adjust to the extra spin rate. I know that's uh, part of the thing, but, um, you know, I say this, like just because you slap on some, some stuff on your fingers doesn't mean that these pitchers haven't been working their butt off going to drive line or how they eat how they sleep you're looking at how their uh, pitch efficiency with the spin so to, to just automatically assume that they're just throwing something on their fingers and they're Derek cole or they're trevor bauer i think that part to me really bothers me um you know with like a little bit of a coach's background because i want to respect the effort and the work that the players are doing and that the coaches are doing and that the technology is having on our game um, versus just throwing a wet blanket and saying it's because guys are using copper tone and Ross. And I think that that's not fair.
1: Yeah, let's, let's end on this. I, I've, I've always found it weird how we really don't regulate our equipment. Like we're always wondering what kind of ball we're using. We're using a juice ball. We're using a dead ball. Bats are being made harder. Bats are being made different. You know, you're talking about, hey, let's just have one, one substance. Should we regulate our equipment more at, at the big league level?
9: Um, yeah, I think I'm okay with that. I mean, I, it, it, it's interesting you put it that way because, you know, when I first got to the big leagues, there was about four back companies. Um, and Todd Heldon used Mizuno. And Todd would get Japanese maple. Um, that was basically like an aluminum bat. I mean, it was the best piece of wood that anybody could have. And I had this pro stock T271 that was ash. And it just didn't come off my bat the same way that it came off when I stole a, a Mizuno bat from Helton. So I agree. I think there's, there's probably need to be some standardized options. Um, you know, like hitters should probably have relatively the same type of bat from wood. Um, and then pitchers you know since the ball should be it should be all stored at the same that's why I want humidors at every single ball uh, at every single level um, and I would be fine with the universal substance for the game but yeah I think I think it's fair to look at all those aspects of our game.
1: Well you're a California guy at heart and by the way congratulations to your gauchos Santa Barbara oh, they at- just killed the post. The, the, your whole athletic department is, has totally taken off.
9: They, they've been playing. I mean, look, it's a great UC system. People want to live in Santa Barbara. Why wouldn't a good athlete want to go play at Santa Barbara? So, yeah, today's a great day. Thanks Take, for mentioning the Goucher.
1: Hey, we appreciate the time as always. We'll be listening to you on SiriusXM. You be well and be safe. Thanks, you, guys. Johnny Gomes, the World Series champion, and what a great A. Wasn't here a long time, but the effect he had on on this team, no question about it. Here is our longtime friend, Johnny Gomes. He is one of our all-time favorites here on A's Cast Live. The World Series champion, Johnny Gomes, is with us. Johnny, how are you down in the Valley of the Sun?
10: I'm right on schedule, buddy. Uh, running around with the kids. Little ball here. Little Little League here. We've got volleyball. Basketball, gymnastics—you know how it is.
1: And and you got another one on the way. I mean, you 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 got a starting five.
10: I do have starting five. That is official. It is NBA playoff time. So <laughs> uh, I joined the crew. Three boys, two girls. I mean, with these jeans why would I stop? Right?
1: Oh yeah. I mean, you're breeding excellence, right?
10: Ah, <laughs> you said it.
1: So last night, Bob Melvin passed Tony La Russa, and knowing what you know about A's history, growing up an A's fan and knowing that Bob Melvin is now the all time winningest manager in Oakland A's history. And I know about your guys's relationship. What, what, what does it mean to you when you hear that? I mean, there, there, there's a lot behind
10: that, right? I mean, when you're running that many victories on one ball club, that just says so much about the dude. Considering that position, you know, it's a higher fire position, you know, you're in and out. I mean, we've seen guys win manager of the year and get fired right after. So, I mean, it just says so much about the dude. I love the guy. Um, we do got a pretty unique relationship as far as player to manager. I think we got a little tighter, but um, yeah, I know he would love to have that ring, you know, more than anything. And seems like he's getting closer and closer every year, but, we gotta give Bob one of those for sure.
1: You know, when I think about everything that he's had to deal with, you know, a lot of people go, Oh, look at the success of Tony La Russa, three World Series, won a World Series. I also go, You gotta remember the guy at one point had the highest payroll in baseball. He had three MVPs, he had two Cy Young Awards, he had three rookies of the year, and was always in the top five in payroll. You know, it's all stuff Bob has never had. Just talk about his situation and always having obstacles, but always able to overcome them.
10: It's absolutely mind boggling to tell you through. I mean, from what you just mentioned, I mean, just compare if this was like NASCAR, right? I mean, he's out there in a Ford focus just winning races. Like, it doesn't make any sense. You know, I was talking about the the Royals team that we had, and I go, it's just such a well oiled machine. Like, we had the starting nine every single day just mapped out. You know, Hosmer, Salvi with Like everyone knew where they were playing. There wasn't a lot of juggling. You know, it's tough to do that. But I mean, Bob, I mean this guy's running six to seven platoons a season. It's unbelievable. It's keep everyone on the same page, keep them all fighting for you, keep everyone happy, control the clubhouse. I mean it just goes on and on. This guys unbelievable.
1: You know, I'll never forget when we got back from Japan and you were my first interview on opening day, the actual real opening day. And you said, we're going to the playoffs. And everybody's like, what? What the hell is he talking about? And you think about 2012 and just the change day-to-day of the amount of people that came in and out of the clubhouse that contributed. The fact that you guys won it on the very last day. It's truly one of the wildest seasons, got to be, of your career.
10: Absolutely. I mean, it's still... I hold that season so high from everything that I've accomplished in this game and seen and witnessed, and I mean I don't know if that could ever happen again. You talk about being in first place for four innings of a 162 game season, uh, and then going all the way to Game Five where you know that got a little hairy there. Yeah, I mean it was something I'll never forget. Is when the Detroit Tigers tipped their hats to us after they clinched. Like what? Like they they realized that they just witnessed like a, a a movie i mean it was uh it was unbelievable the roster flip there's probably about five full-blown line changes in our roster throughout the season uh going down the stretch with five rookie starters um man magic for you and it just shows you how important you know winning the whole thing is because you don't win the whole thing the season almost gets you know erased but man that season is something else i'll never forget that for sure
1: yeah, you start the season in Japan, and your opening starters are Brandon McCarthy and Bartolo Colon, and by you get to the postseason, it's now Jared Parker and Tommy Malone. I mean, it's crazy.
10: Yeah, I mean, it was unbelievable. They made me jump on a flight for 15 hours to face King Felix, and then fly, fly back 15 hours and face him again. Um, yeah, tough way to start your season, but, yeah, I mean, it was, you know, the Brandon Inges, You know, and then all those young A's that really, you know, made a name for themselves the following season. Uh, Josh Donaldson was born. You know, people forget about a Grant Balfour and Travis Blackley, the Aussies. It was, uh, man, it was awesome.
1: And the fact that you were the leader of the bunch, there was no question about it. So many guys look to you as the guy that was the veteran that's been there and done that. What was it like being a leader of that group and at sometimes having to corral that group?
10: I mean, would it be known? I mean, it was like herding cats at times. But, um, you know, finding, you know, what you got to do in the beginning is just really find, you know, what the heartbeat of the team and what makes them uh, tick. And with that being said, you know, no one was going to arbitration. There wasn't too many free agents. So it wasn't like money generated. Like everyone just wanted to have fun and you know, Bob Melvin just would us be, you know, who we needed to be. Uh I mean just on and on. There's so much action.
1: You know, when I think about a manager being great, there's no question it's about communication. Talk about the communication that Bob has with his players on a day to day basis. And you know that he actually cares about you as people.
10: Yeah. I mean you know, there's there's a lot of things you can describe about Bob Melvin, but um, you know, the one thing that sticks out to me is that you were never ambushed. Nothing ever happened that was unexpected, and would it be known that is extremely rare in our game. Doors always open, no surprises. Um, and yeah, the communication was, you know, it it, it was beautiful. And playing for managers, you know, there's not too many actually where you literally learn more stuff than just baseball from the guy. And I mean, just a stand-up gentleman, so smart the way he treated us, the way he treated the fans, the way he treated his coworkers, his staff. He's a blueprint of a good man.
1: I remember when you came back and I asked Bob, I said, if there's anybody on this ball club do you see as manager material? He said you. Have you thought about actually thinking? I mean, have you thought about trying to be a manager someday in the big leagues?
10: um so it's funny that like a lot of these guys are kind of handed that job um which you know is what it is but what i want to do is i want to go back to step one and and really put the time in and learn you know everything i could so that's what i've been doing is i've been player development for arizona diamondbacks learning the farm system learning how the whole thing works and um if the time comes, the time comes, but I just definitely wanted to pack my resume as much as possible before I uh, threw my name in the hat.
1: You know, how how great is it that these kids are back playing? Because it just broke my heart uh, seeing all these minor league guys, you know, their dream taken away from them and not given that opportunity to play because of COVID-19. I'm just so happy so many are back, and, and I feel bad for the ones that their career's over.
10: Yeah, they're, they're, that, that's totally sucked. I'll tell you what, you know, really bothered me was, you know, there's a lot of kids that uh, fortunately got a chance to play in the big leagues last year when under nor- normal circumstances, they probably might not have made it, but they didn't make it. And playing in the big leagues was awesome. And their family wasn't able to go and attend. Uh, I could not even imagine. I could just picture my mom ripping through the gates, getting in to try and watch me play. Um, yeah, man, I'm, I'm super glad it's over and I'm glad I wasn't
1: part of it as a player. That would have so when So when you, when you go, and I mean, I know you haven't been around the players for a while, but how, how different are, are the players now from when you first broke in with the Rays?
10: Uh, yeah, man. I mean, it's a lot different. Um, it, it is a lot different and I think it has to do with how they're groomed you know with uh, all this travel ball and stuff um you know there's the little things that i think are lost in translation of playing so many games when you're just trying to go four for four versus trying to win the game so with that being said you know i mean it's crazy in the minor leagues it's just like a dying breed when you talk about a gamer like all oh, got the gamer you don't say that as much as you used to anymore but Tell you what, man, they're really good, really fast. I mean it's not common to be 20 years old in the big league sitting right in the middle of the lineup or being an ace. Kids are good.
1: Yeah. Hey Johnny, we missed you. It's great to hear your voice. Uh congrats on everything and the family and the new baby coming. Be well, be safe, and let's talk soon.
10: You got it, buddy. Keep me on the loop.
2: This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics.